Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. You know, I'm going to have to stop singing so close to when the show opens. <laughs> you almost caught my voice, my golden voice, you know, on the uh, on the radio here. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh my goodness, what an incredible week this has been. Uh, yesterday, uh, Scott Shara talking about uh, his daughter, Grace Shara, uh, who was killed by Pfizer Pharmaceuticals and their hospital up in uh, uh, Minnesota. Uh, Appleton? No, Appleton, Wisconsin. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, and, and his story, completely different story because he was in a completely different hospital. So it, it, it starts with COVID and there's two ways you can go. Government medicine, you know, using government protocols of the, what I call the remdesivir ventilator death march uh, and a bunch of other uh, narcotic, what else did they give her? Grace. Grace had Down syndrome, too. Um, if you look at the videos, I mean, Grace is an amazing person. So Grace Shara, and, and Scott, as he calls it, you know, Grace is dead. <laughs> so everybody loved Grace. Uh, except the hospital, apparently. And so it's, it's a really tragic story. But in, in other ways, it's an inspiring story of, of the resilience of these people and the fact that they come back and tell the story. And this was yesterday. So, this, I mean, just yesterday. And I, I do take these shows very personally, uh, especially when I hear stories like this, because I have my own stories of friends I've lost um, to, you know, basically government policy. Uh, and so the, there's the and, and it's interesting that Scott, when he had his COVID episode, that he went to a very different hospital, had a completely different response. They actually helped him with nutrition and with, uh, you know, recommendations. And they talked to him and treated him like a person. And he came out like the next day or, or whatever. Uh, his daughter was taken in, given the government medicine, government protocols, and she died. And so it's, it's, we, we really have two, um, two systems of medicine in this country, you know, private medicine and government medicine. And I'll say which one I want. <laughs> you know, uh, I want the private medicine you know, where I can talk to a doctor and we're actually responsive. Now, it didn't used to be that way. And, you know, again, everybody who listens to the show knows that, you know, I had open heart surgery about six years ago. And uh, that was fine. <laughs> that almost died three weeks later when uh, uh, the blood thinners, I believe, you know, or something caused my chest to fill with fluid. And they didn't tell me about that part, you know, and that it'd take uh, four and a half liters or a couple of gallons of fluid out of my chest so that my lungs could actually inflate. And so very interesting story. So the heart surgery went well, but the after effects, the drugs, uh, or nearly killed me. So I have a healthy respect for surgeons and surgery uh, when appropriate. And I made sure it was appropriate in my case. And apparently it was. Um, but on the other hand, I have no, no sympathy whatsoever for, uh, or understanding or compassion or, or, you know, any, uh, any, you know, anything with ill will towards the pharmaceuticals. Um, because for the most part, I think they do far more harm than good. And as we know, the third leading cause of death you know, in this country uh, after heart disease and cancer is, uh, you know, misdiagnosis, malpractice, uh, basically the medical industry. And so now it's even worse with government socialized COVID medicine where the money is tied into it, where the protocols are tied in, where you're worth more dead than alive to, to the hospitals. And so they kill you. I mean, not every case. I mean, I'm not making a generalization of the entire, uh, you know, medical industry here. But like I say, there are two ways to go, it looks like. Uh, in Grace's case, she's killed by uh, um, all these sedatives, you know, massive doses, illegal doses, contraindicated as they doses, just incredible amounts of things that, uh, and she still hung on as long as she could, but, you know, nobody can survive a drug overdose when the hospital gives it to you. Eventually, they're, they're going to win, <laughs> and they did. They killed her. Um, and so this is just a fascinating story. 
Just before that, we had Ashley Babbitt's mom, and Ashley Babbitt was murdered by Michael J. Byrd, uh, January 6th. You know, for it just you look at the you think why you know you look at the when you watch this happen. There was no reason. There was no justification. There was nothing. You, you could even uh, make a, a pretense of, uh, of well, I you know I thought I was in danger, or she was you know going to breach the the Capitol and attack the you know, members of Congress because they weren't there. You know, he just shot her. <laughs> no call out, no nothing, no freeze, no you know stop what you're doing, no nothing. I'm the police. No, he just shot her. And so we've got a couple of tragedies, both death by government. One by policy and one by direct action. And so we're facing a very interesting situation in this country where uh, what is turning out to be, for most people in the world, the most dangerous entity is their own government. And so it's turning into that here. So all those folks that thought it couldn't happen here and all of you who are in denial and all of you who said, oh, God, how the Germans let that happen in Germany? That's a Western European, you know, white nation. Well, it did. You know, Hitler rose to power and they voted him in. You know, you know, Russia, how did, how did that happen? The czars, didn't they get freedom? No, they got communism. You know, did they vote it in? No, the, the communists just took over and people let them. And they weren't that many of them at first, but uh, they're organized. You know, same thing the Nazis are organized. You know, the, the, the militant forces, you know, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the, the FBI operatives, the government agents, the, the agent provocateurs, they're organized. You're not. <laughs> so the question is, uh, how, you can get organized. I mean, that's what militias are for whole purpose of a militia is to be organized against the government that's already organized against you. In my, my way of fighting back is legislative. You know, I've got bills to disarm the government of all unconstitutional, uh, unconstitutionally armed officers, which is almost all of them. You, know, you look at the three crimes that the, the federal government is allowed to handle uh, in the Constitution, you know, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. Well, counterfeiting, that's the Secret Service as Department of the Treasury, so they can be armed. You know, and of course they protect the president too, so they can be armed. That, that's fine and dandy with me. That's constitutional. Uh, the other one is uh, treason. Well, that'd probably be the U.S. Marshals, or it could be the Secret Service too. I mean, there aren't that many genuine traitors, and of course you don't have traitors except in wartime, by definition, giving aid and comfort, comfort to the enemy after a war has been declared. That's what makes a traitor. Now we talk about people being traitors to our country um, in in metaphorical sense, in the fact that what they're doing, you know, is giving aid and comfort to enemies. They are enemies of our nation. They are if the whole insurrection, uh, the Brandon insurrection, our entire government is an enemy of our enemy of our people. You know, if you either do nothing about an illegal government, if you don't speak out, you know, I mean, uh, how much can the citizens do? Uh, we, we're speaking out. So, and, uh, and unfortunately, we're, we're in a position where we're relying on the good parts of government to remove the bad parts of government and throw their asses in jail. And they're not doing it. And so the branded insurrection continues and all these horrible things are happening. You know, business as usual came back, you know, another foreign war, uh, billions of dollars wasted, uh, endangering all of us with a third world war, potential, uh, a useless foreign policy, a terrible economy, um, you know, racial induced violence, you know, by the government, no Southern border, uh, an entire army of illegals, you know, marching in. Um, and that's what they want. Eh, great. Okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> the economy's great, even though it isn't. So they make all these announcements and pronouncements of how wonderful everything is, but it's a Hegelian dialectic. It's a Marxist, it's a Marxist dialectic. Everything's great. Don't worry about a thing while well, they're basically trying to destroy the country. There's the dialectic. And the Scott talked about that yesterday. So it's been a fascinating week. We had Josh Yoder and uh, Dr. Kevin uh, Stillwagon, two pilots, one of which Kevin is a, is a doctor. He's a chiropractor. And we talked about all the problems with uh, the FAA and the, the airlines and the fact that uh, the FAA didn't specifically mandate 
the jab, the COVID jab, the non-approved COVID jab, the experimental messenger RNA drug therapy snake oil jab. They didn't specifically mandate it, but the airlines mandated it anyway for no reason. They didn't have to do it. In fact, it would have been nice if just one airline, just one, had said, no, this is wrong. This is crazy. We're not going to make it our pilots with an experimental drug gene therapy uh, for people that fly thousands of feet up at 600 miles an hour, you know, with, you know, airplane loads of passengers flying over the entire nation. No, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. That's dumb. But nobody did because uh, of the collective. You know, like the Borg, resistance is futile. Well, nobody resisted. Apparently 20% of the airline pilots did resist. We learned that this week too. So 20% of the airline pilots said, no, I'm not going to take the jab. And the airlines couldn't function without 20% of their pilots. And so they said, okay, well, we don't need the mandate. So proving that it doesn't take everybody to stand up against tyranny. It just takes enough of a percentage to ruin, um, to stop the money flowing. <laughs> so that's what you have to do. If enough taxpayers uh, got together and said, you know what, we got a problem here. You know, we, we're going to go to Congress and we're, uh, we need to do something. Or this, actually, not this, individuals. It's, it's too easy for the federal government to, to arrest individuals. But if the state said, yeah, we're, we're going to have uh, uh, income taxes paid to us first, and then we'll pay you, the federal government. Wouldn't that be interesting? If the state did that, I'd be in favor of that. Florida wants to collect uh, taxes for the feds, and then Florida can withhold them and say, oh, nope, you're not doing your job. Uh, you've got unconstitutional mandates, unfunded mandates. We're, we're going to keep the money that we would have sent to you, so screw you. Of course, Florida doesn't have an income tax, you know, but if we paid our – you know, I kind of like this idea. Let me, let me explore this a little further. This is, this is like a Pianchi uh, question. Should, should federal income taxes be paid to the state first? For, for possible withholdings. So federal income taxes be paid to the to our state first. State first. And we can do this legislatively. So state first. We can do this by, uh, I wonder if it would be state law or, or congressional law. Uh, state first for possible withholding. Oh, I like this idea for possible. This is how things happen here. We just talk. With fossil withholding. So, all right, well, let's take a look. So the, the Constitution says, Constitution says, um, because of this, well, we don't know if it was actually ratified. There's a lot of uh, uh, contention on whether the 16th Amendment that, that uh, uh, gave the feds the power to have a direct income tax as opposed to an apportion tax through the states was actually constitutional. I tend to think not, because I can't imagine the states ever giving up that power. That doesn't make any sense. So let's take a look at the 16th Amendment, which says... The judicial, unless the wrong one, the electors shall meet. Where's the one that goes to the income tax? So the said that's, oh, it's 12. Okay, I'm not doing well with my Roman numerals. All right, that's the 14th. Oh, here's the 16th. But Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any census or enumeration. Okay, so what we have to do is just abolish the 16th Amendment. Congress will not have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes. Uh, not have the power to go after any source derived. Well, they will have to use apportionment among the several states, uh, and they'll have to uh, do that by census. So in other words, the states, by apportionment, I have to look that up. That'd be an interesting thing. So let's, let's put apportioned taxes. I'll put this for, for like Monday, apportioned taxes. So what I'll do is I'll look up exactly how the old system worked. And apportionment means that uh, people pay by population. So in other words, the states would be taxed based on their population, which makes sense. So if they, if they have so much tax per person, as opposed to per income. So that would get rid of the graduated income tax. So if the states are paying per person, 
no, this is interesting. Okay, so it doesn't matter how much you make. So the richest person would pay, you know, the, the state would pay based on the, the I guess, the, the total wealth. Or I'm not sure how they do it. I'm going to look into this. I'm kind of curious now. This would be something interesting. I can ask Derek about that. See what Derek knows about apportioned taxes. He knows a bunch of stuff. Or he'll say, Greg, I haven't looked that up yet. Why don't you tell me a week ahead of time? <laughs> Which I did have throw questions at him out of nowhere. All right, let me take uh, something that I found interesting. I would give you that uh, nobody else does because that's what makes my life interesting. There was uh, there was a series of articles starting at the um, coalition CO2 coalition. This is Gregory Wrightstone, friend of mine. Uh, he's too busy now. For, he's he's really busy now. It's hard to get him on the show. But uh, when we could, we got him on. It was kind of cool. So the CO2 coalition is at um, what is it? CO2 coalition. I guess dot com or dot org. Probably dot org if I remember, but they've started this, his, this, this uh, series, this historical series on climate and human history. And so I thought it would be interesting to, to talk about this because the basic thesis is that the warmer the, the climate, the, the, the greater advancements in, in uh, humanity and arts and sciences uh, and the more food production. So warming is good. <laughs> okay. You know, warming is good for the planet. Uh, so these ideas, these folks that are trying to cool us down. They're basically saying we want you stupid and uh, starving. That's what they're saying. All right, so here's Climate and Human History, CO2 Coalition, the first one, part one, which says there exists a fascinating relationship between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of great civilizations and empires. We find that the facts are opposite to the prevailing, quote, consensus predictions of the apocalyptic doom from modest warming. Nearly all great advances occurred during warm periods. Before climate science became politicized, the warm periods were called climate optima. In other words, optimum, that's where it comes from, it's probably Latin. Climate optima by those studying things, such things because both the Earth's ecosystems and humanity benefited from the blessed warmth. Conversely, the human condition declined during cold periods uh, and markedly so. And we've got here, they've got some captions and things like that. Uh, says Wolfgang Bettinger in his book, A Cultural History of Climate, oh, that's interesting, reveals that even minor changes in climate may result in huge social, political, and religious convulsions. He says cooling has always resulted in major social upheavals, whereas warming has sometimes led to a blossoming of culture. If we learn anything from the history of culture, it is that even if humans were children of the Ice Age, civilization was a product of climate warming. We will be, it says, then he says, we'll be exploring more on the subject in upcoming newsletters to reveal the rarely opposed, exposed truths about human history and climate. There, these are drawn from the extensive expansion and update of my five-year book, old book, Inconvenient Facts, which will be published in 2023. Okay, so that's, uh, that's Gregory Wrightstone. His Inconvenient Facts is the counter to Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth, which is anything but truth, which is why we call it that. All right, so the second part. And I've got three parts here, and uh, I was, I'm sort of been waiting to get a couple more parts so I could I could give you something to report here. But I'll be doing more of these uh, as we go. Climate and human history, part two. We told you about the fascinating relationship between temperature and humanity, uh, and in the December newsletter, because this one is, I'm not sure when this one is, it doesn't say, <laughs> probably says at the bottom somewhere. I'll worry about it later. Um, he says our first installment starts. Uh, with the very early arrival of the hunter-gatherers that crossed into North America by way of an Aleutian land bridge made possible by the extreme lowering of the sea level about 15,000 years ago. Yeah, that's because everything was ice. <laughs> uh, it's still an ice age, okay? That they, were, they, says they then moved south to populate the Americas and complete the great diaspora of humanity across the planet. All right, now, so, of course, if you talk to uh, Chief Dan Skyhorse, it's a little different. I mean, we've got evidence of uh, folks coming up from Mexico 
in South America that have been in North America uh, for 60,000 years. So it's a little bit off our timeline here. So take that into account too. There's there's more than one source of information. And so I present them to you. You figure it out. He then says the small scale nomadic life of the hunter gatherers made adaptation to significant climate induced events like droughts, floods, or changing temperatures difficult, but not catastrophic. They could quickly move or make dietary changes. The major transformation for humanity occurred during the transition away from hunting and foraging to reliance on agriculture and the rise of communal living in villages and cities. Of course, then the Industrial Revolution came and really messed things up, right? Except for the fact that we put uh, carbon dioxide back into the air so the plants could breathe and give us more food. But that's another story. He says this climate change, this change from a nomadic lifestyle to one relying on settled life in cities and on agriculture periodically, periodically led to horrific consequences when the climate cooled. Look for the next installment on the rise and fall of the earliest great civilizations during the Bronze Age. That would be the Minoan Warm Period and the ensuing horrors of the Greek Dark Ages cooling. Well, this is very interesting. I never thought the Greeks as having a Dark Ages. But again, I learn new stuff every day. Then we've got here a little note, high praise for the CO2 Coalition, recalling his role as chairman of the Pennsylvania House Environmental Resources and Energy Committee. Recently retired Pennsylvania State Representative Daryl Metcalf says this about us being the CO2 Coalition. CO2 Coalition was, a, was crucial in our fight against those who attempted to hamper the development of Pennsylvania's beautiful coal and natural gas deposits, what I call organic fuels, in the name of a fallacious climate change agenda. Gregory Rystone and his team provided scientific analysis and testimony and reports that backed our efforts to advance rational energy policies. Oh, I'm going to adopt that term, too. I like that. Rational energy policies beneficial for the Keystone State and the entire country. When scientifically sound information was needed, the CO2, CO2 coalition had it. And it's true. This is, I like these guys, right? Another one here. That's why the CO2 coalition doesn't have to change our mission or our program in order to succeed. We simply need to do more of what we do best. In other words, tell the truth. So the quote of the week from John Kerry. So how do we get there? The lessons I've learned in the last years, and I've learned it as secretary uh, and learned it since reinforced in spades, is money, 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 money. So how do we get there? Thank you, John Kerry. Yeah, in other words, everything they do is based on on taking your money. I mean, the the whole climate change is basically socialist fundraising. You know, it's it's an elimination of freedom and the taking and the transfer of your money to uh, other peoples of the world. Okay, well, I don't want Americans to lose money for a bogus theory and transfer it all around the world. We work for it. It's, It's ours. You know, the rest of the world can make their own money, and they can do it through, too, through freedom. Freedom makes money. It's just that simple. You know, communism, look at the, the more the, 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 the Brandon insurrection controls this nation illegally, the worse the economy gets. Well, that's not an accident, <laughs> okay? Freedom makes prosperity, and tyranny, you know, screws everything up. Part three, climate and human history, part three, the Minoan Warm Period. This is the last of my installments. I'll, I'll come back when I have, you know, three more of these, probably three months from now. <laughs> they may take a while to crank these out. This is where being told that continued warming will lead to catastrophic events. Human history tells quite a different story. In the previous March, uh, in the previous much warmer periods, humanity flourished. The rise of the first great civilizations occurred during a period known as the Bronze Age. Great empires arose and life flourished around the Mediterranean. That would be Mycenaean in Egypt, the Old Kingdom, China, the Gia Dynasty. Uh, Mesopotamia, the Hittite, Syrian, and Babylonian, and the Indus Valley of India, the Harappan. In this period, humanity saw early advancements such as inventions of the wheel, writing, bronze smelting, and winemaking. 
Well, those sounds like the important things to me. <laughs> the Minoan era temperatures are mainly known from ice cores and other proxies. Okay, you know what I, you guys know what an ice core is? That's where they drill down, you know, fifty thousand feet <laughs> into a glacier. And they, they pull out stuff from thousands and thousands of years ago. So ice, ice is like a historic record. So climate geologists uh, like Gregory Wrightstone, they study ice. I mean, they study rocks and things too, but it's, they study ice because ice locks in water. And ice locks in, and you can tell temperatures and all kinds of things from the, the stuff that's, uh, that's in there in the water and in the ice. It's a fascinating subject, I think. All right. So it says Minoan era temperatures are mainly known from ice cores and other proxies. We know that the crop millet, birdseed, <laughs> was grown in southern Scandinavia and the Tibetan Plateau, areas far from the tropical and subtropical regions that are home to the grain now. Comparing today's average annual temperature in Denmark to that required to grow millet indicates that the temperature was at least two degrees Celsius warmer during the Minoan period than today. Should I read that again? <laughs> Comparing today's average annual temperature in Denmark to that to required to grow millet indicates that the temperature was at least two degrees Celsius warmer. That's 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. It's almost four degrees Fahrenheit warmer during the Minoan period than today. And these people panic when something goes up a partial degree and, and the, the global warming uh, paranoids, paranoids go nuts. Oh, no, the world's warming up. Well, it was almost four degrees warmer during the Bronze Age. And the Bronze Age gave rise, what did they say gave rise to the wheel, writing, bronze smelting, and winemaking? <laughs> so, so warming temperatures are good. Hope it warms up more. That's why I moved to Florida. California is getting too cold. <laughs> Think about that one. Then it says, despite temperatures much higher than, to, than the most likely rise predicted for the 21st century by the IPCC, I'm not sure who they are, there was no tipping point or cascade of climate catastrophes. Rather, earth and humanity thrive. And then they have a fun factoid. A famous Old Testament scripture says, iron sharpens iron. Proverbs uh, chapter 27, verse 7. It was likely written around 1000 BC. Oh, this is Wendy would love this. <laughs> Wendy, our Omega God reporter, right? She says, interestingly, the process of smelting iron did not become widely known until some centuries later. So, how did iron, if iron sharpened iron uh, and they didn't have iron at the time, how did they know? <laughs> okay, I'm just asking the question. They asked the same question. How could the authors reference iron, authors of the Bible, that is, how could the authors reference iron when the process to create it hadn't been known? The answer is that the iron being used during the Bronze Age was retrieved from meteorites that had accumulated on the surface of the deserts in the area. Well, isn't that interesting? Because they didn't have mining. You know, they couldn't, like, go underground and dig. They didn't dig stuff up in those days. You know, the Bronze is old. This is a, thousand, you know, a couple thousand years ago, right? So uh, whatever the Bronze Age was. You know, at least they had wine. <laughs> they had wine writing and, you know, some other stuff. So they had the wheel writing, um, bronze smelting, and winemaking. Not, did they, I guess they had fire. They must have had fire if they had smelting. So they should have put fire in there too. So, of course, that probably goes back a lot further. Anyway, the point is that uh, talking about iron sharpening iron, I mean, was iron an expression? And when was the Iron Age? I guess that came later. I think iron came after the Bronze Age. Now, iron's required to make steel, right? You guys know your basic, you know, the, remember your high school uh, physics and chemistry? What makes steel? Steel's like, uh, what, 90 some odd percent iron uh, plus tin, nickel, and whatever else they put in to make steel. It's a formula. You know, steel. Uh, did you guys watch Conan the Barbarian, The Quest for Steel? Oh, come on. You must have done that. Anyway, so that's what's happening there. Um, so let me put that one aside. And we got about seven minutes until Derek gets here. And let's talk about something that is very upsetting to me. Uh, not, it's not damaging. It just makes me mad because it's stupid. 
and the stupidity. Uh, we, we, unfortunately, we have a lack of, of gun reporting on Fridays these days. Shirley's been busy, and Jim had to, had to leave the show. So I need to find more gun folks. <laughs> so if you're a gun reporter and you want to come to Action Radio, you know, give me a shout here. Get on my Facebook page. You know, message, uh, put a notice of the, you know, join the Action Radio Gun Group uh, audition. <laughs> you know, let's get you on the show. Um, but we've got a huge problem um, in that uh, there's a big misunderstanding, and I think it's purposeful. So Florida's all hyped up, and even Florida Carry, which well, I think should know better, it's all hyped up over this bill they're calling constitutional carry in Florida. Well, it's not constitutional carry at all because it doesn't include open carry. You cannot have constitutional carry unless you have open carry. Why? Because the Constitution says the right to own and carry, you know, the, the right of the people to, to keep and bear arms, in other words, own and carry, cannot be infringed. Well, if you can't let people carry openly, you're infringing. I mean, this isn't rocket science. This is, this is very straightforward. And, oh, no, it's, it's, it's constitutional because there's no permit. Well, a permit's an infringement, too. So you can't say, well, because, there's, because one thing isn't infringed, that you can infringe somewhere else. That's not logical. That's irrational. That's absurd. That's insane. That's a non-argument. Oh, well, we're not, uh, we're not infringing. We're, we're allowing you to carry without a permit. What do you mean were you allowing me to carry? You couldn't issue a permit anyway. That was never legal. Concealed carry permits are unconstitutional because they infringe. They touch your right to own and carry firearms. The, the owning and carrying of firearms is absolute. The government cannot touch it. You can own and carry anything you want. But gee, Greg, what if people you know, carry a machine gun and shoot down a whole bunch of folks? Okay, that's using a firearm. Using a firearm is not covered by the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment men- mentions nothing about use and for a very good reason, because there are legal uses of firearms and illegal uses of firearms, which means use must come under statutory law, and statutory law, by definition, is subordinate to constitutional law, which is the supreme law of the land. So, and I've done this explanation before. I'm just making it very simple for everybody. It's very clear that the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms is absolute, and the bearing of arms openly or concealed is absolute. There's no, in fact, the Constitution makes no distinction between open and concealed. There is no distinction because it all concerns bearing arms. So you can bear arms anywhere you want. You can hang them on your back and put bright lights on them, or you can conceal them under 15 layers of clothing. It doesn't matter. It's your right to own and carry. And why is the right to carry absolute? Because if you're going to exercise your right of self-defense, you can't go home and get your gun if you're out in public. So this nonsense this ludicrous argument that, well, the Second Amendment applies in the home, but once you're out in public, that's a different thing. That can be regulated. Absolute BS. Complete and total nonsense. The right to keep and bear is absolute and with you 100% of the time. Whether you choose to exercise it or not, that's up to you. Now, can you carry a bil- you know, gun in a, in a government building? Of course you can. Will they let you? No. They'll shoot you first. Unless, of course, it's January 6th, in which case they open the doors. Um, but the point is uh, that, and that was, that was obvious sarcasm, but the point is that the, um, you know, they're screwing around with your rights. They're, they're messing things up completely. And constitutional carry um, is completely different. Uh, it's, it's not constitutional. Let me start again. It's not constitutional unless you have the ability to carry openly. And so, again, the reason it's absolute is because if you're going to exercise it, you have to be able to exercise it right away. Same now, it's different with freedom of speech. I mean, you can exercise that just by speaking. So that is instantly available to you. Most rights are instantly available to you. Due process uh, may not be uh, instantly available if you don't have a lawyer, okay, if you can't defend yourself, if you can't face your accuser. So that's why they spell out those, those things so specifically. So if you don't have a lawyer, you don't have due process, okay? Well, at least if you, don't want, if you say if you don't want one, that's your choice. But if you, if you want a lawyer and you don't have one, you don't have due process. That's why those due process rights are so spelled out. That's why it's so critical for the rights of the accused to protect the innocent. 
Same thing here with the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment being absolute means you have to be able to use it instantaneously. And the only way it can be used instantaneously if you can carry firearms 100% of the time, if you choose. Let's see what the gun writer says. So Lee Williams, the gun writer, says, breaking constitutional carry bill introduced in Florida. That's not true. A bill that gets rid of unconstitutional permits and licenses was introduced in Florida. Constitutional carry was not. Let's see what Lee Williams says. This is from January 30th, so uh, a few days ago. He says, Florida House Speaker Paul Renner, a Republican of Palm Court, Republican in name only, in other words, a transgender Democrat, along with sponsors from the House and Senate, introduced HB, that would be House Bill, HB 543, Monday morning, a constitutional bill. Again, that's a lie. It's not. It's a permitless bill. It says that Renner said, gets rid of the need for a government permission slip. Well, the Second Amendment did that 200 years ago. <laughs> there is no need for a government permission slip. In fact, there's no possibility of illegal government permission slip for any right. That's the whole definition of rights. Rights means the government can't touch them, which means they can't give permission. It's like, you know, can illegal aliens pay tax? No, they can't, they can't pay tax. They're not citizens. They have no stake in this country. They can't even be here. How can you pay taxes in a place you're not allowed to be in? Well, the answer is you can't. Very simple. Same thing here. The government by definition, cannot even consider giving you permission to carry a firearm when the supreme law to anything the government would do says that the absolute right to keep and bear arms can't be touched. Pretty simple, huh? So the thing is about this, it is so simple. They try and make it complicated with these ridiculous explanations. But once you get through the BS, I wish I had used the real word, but I'm trying to be civil, um, all this stuff becomes so obvious why they're lying. Then he says the lawmakers were accompanied by Hernando County Sheriff Al Niehaus, uh, N-I-N-I-N-H-U-I-S. How do you spell it? What's your name, Al? <laughs> Al, N-I-E-N-H-U-I-S, president of the Florida Sheriff's Association and other Florida sheriffs. Uh, this is the bill, which has also been described as unlicensed concealed carry. Well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> it should be just concealed carry, but they don't do it that way. You know, they're saying something else entirely. Um, I think I got Derek early. Oh, you know what? That is time for Derek. I've been rambling on too long. Uh, well, let me ask his opinion of this. Let me bring him on, and then I'll, then I'll, I'll quickly play his theme. Hey, you surprised me, or I got surprised by the clock. Good morning, Derek. Yeah, hey, morning. So have you heard anything about this uh, before I play your theme when we start money? Uh, I'll be quick because we have a guest at 8 o'clock. Uh, have you heard about this, this bogus you know, constitutional carry bill that's not because it doesn't, doesn't include open carry that's being introduced in Florida? Um, no, not really. Okay. Well, if I asked you what constitutional carry was, would you think it includes open carry or not? Um, I'm not sure, to be quite honest. Okay, that's fine. And that's the reason I was talking about this morning. Okay, let's get to your theme and let's talk money. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets, oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Okay, back to your wheelhouse. <laughs> good morning, Derek. Hey, good morning. So let's just get exactly. Let's just say an unusual. Let's start with the report before we even get onto anything else. At least we'll get it in early. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I got to be a a little brief today because I got an uh, early appointment I got to get to. So okay, that's fine. um, I'll take whatever time you got. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I, I should be pretty close to eight o'clock. It just, uh, uh, I got to make sure I get on the road cause I got a little bit of a drive. Okay. No, I got to um, get to the eight o'clock. So that's perfect. So we're fine. Yeah. And, yeah. So, uh, I will not be on next week. Um, oh, okay. my, wife's, uh, my wife's birthday and we're, we're taking a little mini staycation. Happy birthday to her. Happy birthday to her. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear. Do you want to give her first name or not? Um, don't have to. Mm, yeah. Happy birthday to her. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Her, 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 she remains concealed. Okay. There we go. So yeah, you guys have fun. Yeah, all right. No worries. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're having a, having a little small trip. So looking yeah. forward to it, but, uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll follow up with you the week after. Okay. All right. Well, I'll get started on the report here. Uh, good morning, everybody. This is Derek bringing you the daily financial market report. Equity markets were higher on Thursday, led by technology-heavy NASDAQ, which which is up over 3%. This comes as earnings report from Meta, Facebook, surprised on the upside, and the Federal Reserve in in European Central Bank both raised rates this week. In the U.S., Fed Chair Jerome Powell noted that disinflationary process has started, providing support to market sentiment. As markets have started to price in more gradual pace of rate hikes, and potential rate uh, rate cuts by the end of the year. Treasury yields moved substantially lower, with the U.S. Treasury yield now around, or 10-year Treasury around 3.4, well below the 3.8 it began at the start of 2023. The move lower yields have supported bond market returns this year uh, thus far as well. And the bond aggregate index moved up over 3.5% this year. And page two. There you go. The, and now, page two. <laughs> Paul Harvey would say. U.S. equities closed higher today with the Dow Jones up 39 points or 0. 0.11 to 34054. And the NASDAQ closed up 384 points or 3.25% to 12,201. And the S&P 500 closed up 61 points or 1.47% to 4180. Uh, again, in the bond market, 10-year Treasury yields are trading at 3.39%, lower by 0.01. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down 57 cents or 75 or 0.75 uh, to $75.84. And the spot price of gold was down $16.30 or 0.84 to uh, 1926.50. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm, very interesting. Oil's down, uh, so we're, we're below our happy place, as you say, at $80 a barrel. Uh, and yet, prices around here are going up, what, they've been up 30 cents in the last, what, couple of weeks or something? You didn't notice that big yeah, increase. Yeah, they're, they're since, all the way uh, back down. I see them go oh, back down. down. I mean, right, I, got, I got a gas station right near my, my, by my house, and they're down to, I think it was 315 if I'm not mistaken. They were really? three, like 327 Yeah, so they've gone down like 15 cents. I've seen I've seen up to three maybe three forty forty five somewhere in there, but they're dropping back down yeah, again. I, That's good. I, I, around around the area, I saw mostly about three thirty. If you go to your like Chevrons and Exxon's, yeah, I was seeing like three thirty five stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Well, I just had a little episode with a fuel pump, uh, which had my car out of commission for a while, and it was uh, uh, doing some research on this. And some people recommended that I get uh, high cast gasoline. Others said, "No." Nah. My mechanic said, "No, nah, don't bother that. Just you know, drive what you want." But what I found out mm-hmm. is that um, some of the the stations, like uh, I won't mention brand names yet, but so, well, the major ones that we all know, you know, Exxon, Gulf, uh, Shell, 
you know, whatever brands you have across the country, Chevron, we had that was big in California. Um, the gas that they get at the brand name stations uh, is different than the gas you get at your local, you know, Max Mart, you know, whatever. Uh, we have, well, actually, I guess I can't mention them. Like we have Tom Thumb and Murphy and places like that, Raceway, things like that. They get their gasoline secondhand. And I've heard there might be more water in it. You know, it's, it's not as, as fresh as it were. And the more you move gasoline around from tank to tank, pump to pump, pipeline to pipeline, whatever, I think it accumulates moisture. And because uh, we, we had to test when I was a uh, pilot and a flight instructor, we always tested our fuel for water. You had water in the tank, you drain it until there wasn't any water in the tank. Water, I guess, would, would sink down low because your engines can't take that. But there's more, I guess, the allowances are different for the, the, the wholesale or the, uh, um, the retails beyond the brand because they have to get their gas from the refineries. But I think they get it mm-hmm. later. So do you know the difference in gasoline? And is that a market uh, thing? Is, does anybody make a distinction there? But I've heard it's, it's not quite as good as the brand gas. No, I, I mean, not necessarily. I, I do know that, you know, East Gasoline Company has their own proprietary blend, as they would say. Um, uh-huh. But I, I, had a, I had one of my uh, physics teachers in college that used to work for uh, Shell, Exxon, and Chevron. Um, he was, like, one of their, like, lead, you know, gasoline testers or whatever like that. And he's uh-huh. like... Let me tell you, there's not much of a difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, the additives are the only yeah. difference because, you know, the, the, the oil, the yeah. petroleum coming out of the ground, you know, it's, it, it's not brand name petroleum <laughs> at that point, you know, until they've got to put right. stuff in it. It's, it's, yeah. it's all the same. <clears throat> hmm. But that's and that, but that's yeah. what I'm after, though, because some I'm wondering if some uh, brand names, well, from what I've heard, though, the brand names are better. Uh, the additives, I guess, you know, don't last whatever for whatever reason you're you're getting to get a, a gas in with with better additives, you know, from a brand name than the generic stuff, you right, know, as far as right. clean, clean the engine, the fuel injectors and that kind of stuff. I'm just curious. This is like, well, talk. He, did, he did, he did say this for, for, um, you know, just, just for kind of learning purposes. He was like, uh, uh-huh. if, if I was to buy gas and I wanted the gas that was going to cause the less problems in my engine and mm-hmm. make sure that, um, you know, that, that, you know, the, the engine stayed as clean as possible. He said Exxon would be his first choice. Um, second was Shell and third was Chevron. Um, and then he said, everybody kind of falls in line that way. He said, uh, you know, the, the blend that, uh, that Exxon uses with their Tecron or whatever he said was, uh, he said it actually, uh, keeps the particle buildup a little bit less than all the other ones. He said it, it is fractional, but he said it does make a difference. Yeah, well, and that's actually what I like is Exxon, you know, and just because of it. I, I read up on I think it's Tecrolene, and, and and it's exactly why I buy just for that reason, uh, especially for the newer cars or an older newer car as I have. Uh, but uh, you know, if I can keep the injectors cleaner, if I can get fuel burn better, and I keep my fuel pump and filter lasting longer this time, <laughs> you know, I'll be in a lot better shape, I think. Uh, but all this stuff's interesting. But now, does that ever show up in the market? Uh, is there a market for? Um, what do you call those other stations? The the secondary gasoline market? Do they trade at all? Are they big enough to trade? Do you see like Murphy's or Raceway or uh, Tom Thumb? Those seem to be Florida stations. We had different ones in California. But are they um, ra- ranking with the big folks at all or no? There's like, you know, Marathon. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're a uh, uh, publicly traded. Um, you know, Tom Thumb was just bought by Cumberland Farms. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, so um, I, I don't New think they're publicly traded. Say again? Okay. Well, I remember the Cumberland Farms from New England. It's like all the New England businesses of my childhood are moving into Florida. Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> that, you know, that's, that's New England. That's right. where they started. 
uh, Cumberland Farms, same right. thing. And I'm not sure where, where the Cumberland Farms is, but it's, it's, it sounds like, a, you know, a western Massachusetts, northern Connecticut, that sort of agricultural beltway, you know, north of New York, you know, up the Hudson Valley. Right. Huh. No, I mean, it's, uh, they've already changed one here in town, and I heard the other ones are going to be changing here pretty soon. So they're getting mm. a, a little facelift. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if it was a complete acquisition, but, yeah, I don't know. In a lot of these, a lot of these other, you know, secondary markets, uh, unless they're branded with a name brand, they buy their gas from secondary wholesalers. You know, so, um, you, you know, that's typically why they have cheaper gas. Yeah, but that's what I say. Well, from what I've heard, though, as I'm learning about fuel with my fuel pump and other things, that again, you're transferring different tanks. You know, there's there's moisture. Every time you transfer gasoline from one container to another, it picks up moisture, and so you're getting more moisture in the secondary wholesalers and secondary gasoline markets, and that's not as good for your engine. The other thing I think would be interesting, if you heard about what what's available now, is ethanol-free gasoline. Is that a growing mm-hmm. market? Do you know about that? Because I think when I get a, when I get my new car, you know, my my Toyota uh, GR87 or whatever it is, the sports car, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be running that on on, on ethanol-free gasoline. I don't care what it costs. Yeah, you it's know. a little bit more expensive. So ethanol-free is, uh, you know, commonly referred to as marine-grade fuel. Um, oh. You know, uh, the the marine, you know, your marine two cycles and and other, you know, even your like lawnmower and stuff like that technically shouldn't mm-hmm. have ethanol in it. And what it does, because it burns a little hotter, it'll burn up your carburetor. Um, you know, and actually, I wouldn't have known this if I didn't burn up my weed eater and figure out. Oh, by using hard. regular gasoline? So they're saying the regular gasoline yeah, burns hotter than the ethanol yeah, burns last, hotter? Uh, no, the ethanol burns hotter. Okay. Um, you know, huh. and it's, and it's uh, you actually, with the ethanol, um, you'll, get, um, you'll get a more efficient ride with the other gas, but with the ethanol, um, you'll get, like, your, your car will be, like, faster. You know, like, it'll... It'll help it perform better. Really? So I didn't think ethanol did anything except uh, oxygenate the fuel, as they say. I didn't think it had any power properties whatsoever. I don't like running my car on salad dressing, you know, corn oil. I I ran different. Um, You know, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I did. did You know what I mean? And and it was a while ago, really. So I had just kind of a a side story. I have a, a weed eater that I had for a few years, and, you know, it started running funny. And I took it to the small engine mechanic, and he's like, he said, what kind of gas have you been cutting in? That's the first thing he asked me. And I was oh, like, because he knew, just right he knew the, the problem pump. before he asked yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He said, I said, just right at the pump. And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah. He says on small engines. And he said, and even some cars, he says, uh, the, the all gas has like almost 10% ethanol in it. He says anywhere in between. He said, so, um, you know, it, it, he said it, it burns up the carburetor. He actually showed me on the, on the carburetor itself. He took it mm-hmm. off and he's like, he says, I can charge you $150 to do this, he says, which is basically the cost of the weed ear. He says, or you can order this carburetor and bolt it on with a seal. And he's like, if you're pretty, you know, pretty mechanic savvy, he says, for about 20 bucks. So he was trying to save me some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he was absolutely right. You know what I mean? So when I went on there um, and I looked at all the, uh, the comments on Amazon, people were like, I had to new order a new carburetor because mine was burned up from gas. You know, so he told me, the best thing to do first is to buy marine grade fuel or next you buy that pre-mixed stuff, which he said is a little expensive, but he's like in a weed eater, it should last a long time. So he said, it's yeah, not a big yeah. deal. You don't get miles yeah. to the gallon on a weed eater. So you're okay. It doesn't weigh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But so, I, so I, I'm not, I'm a, 
Go ahead. I used to live live in in some acreage out in Alabama, and um, uh-huh. you know we, it's, uh, we had to do tons of weed eating. I'm talking about like hours uh, because it would build oh. up so bad. And uh, oh. you know you can't you, you, you can't goats? use an electric one out there. One because goats? of the distance, and then what's that? Buy goats. This is doing San Francisco. Uh, you want to clear a hillside for construction? There's this company yeah. actually rents goats, and they 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 uh, oh, munch yeah? all the grass down. Yeah, it's hysterical. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, it would have would have been great, I guess, but no, they didn't. My my family didn't do that. But uh, oh, okay. you know, I learned uh, I learned um, unless you got a small yard, don't buy electric. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is fascinating. Um, so, is there a market now? Is, is are there companies that specialize? Because I know I think what is it Shell? I think has uh, I forget what they're calling it non-ethanol gasoline, and it is about twenty five to forty cents more per gallon. But and here's what I found. I used to have an old Toyota, for those of you that, that know me personally, at a 1987 Toyota Tercel wagon. <laughs> Remember that car? I do. <laughs> yeah. That car got 420,000 miles on it, okay, before it finally you were the only died. You were the only one in town, so you were easy to spot. <laughs> yeah, it was easy to spot. <laughs> well, when I get my, my uh, Firebird, I'll probably be easy to spot, too. Um, but uh, anyway, but the thing was I started running that car on ethanol-free gasoline. Yeah, it was a little more expensive. My mileage greatly increased. The engine loved it because I don't know how much ethanol yeah. they had, in, in, if any, uh, in 1987. So the engine was not designed for it, but uh, oh, especially sure. for yeah. older cars, yeah. you know. Well, they, so had, when they I, come out, what is it, about 10, 10 years ago, they came out with that, uh, um, you know, the cars that took flex fuel, and flex fuel was, you know, like 15% ethanol and 85% regular gas. Right. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, those cars, when they came out with them, they were like, Okay, don't put regular gas in them or you screw them up, um, you know. But uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they do that anymore. I think they manufactured all engines to kind of take almost all fuel. Yeah, that's what I, I have. A, I have one of those flex fuel uh, cars now, and so uh, yeah. you know. But it, it was. But then why did I, why did I lose a couple of fuel pumps? <laughs> you know, this is what I'm wondering. You know, how flexible is it? Um, but I'm just using the, the regular. A What's that? <laughs> Because it's a Malibu. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's a Chevy. It's not a Malibu, but it's it's, it's close. It's ugly, though. I call it my old man car. Um, but, uh, that's okay. Anyway, I'll, I'll be talking to you, you know, about uh, seeing if I can make my uh, my, my new Firebird. Maybe I mean, a Trans Am. I was looking at those last night, too. So I, I had big plans for Action Radio. I'm going to have fun with this as well as doing good you know, work for freedom. Yeah, I got a um, – uh-huh. There's another uh, financial advisor in, in Jones that uh, he has one of the old uh, Pontiac Firebird WS6, uh, one of those, one of the like top end lines that that one has like 375 or 400,000 miles on it. He said uh-huh. he's going to run it until the engine blows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the older yeah. engines are good. But he won't get you rid know, of the and, car. He said it was a collector's item or that's like his, his favorite favorite car. So he said he'll uh-huh. put another engine in it. Well, yeah, and why would see? I wouldn't mind having an older car with a new engine. Well, which which reminds me, if, if uh, you look at cars, let's talk cars. This is kind of a fun show today. I'll, I'll throw the I'll throw out the normal inflation chat away. But cars, I actually one of the first bills I ever wrote for Action Radio was the Creative Car Act. It's a cars are boring. Get the government out of car design. Let's go back and make really good cars. Nobody says, yeah. hey, I want to get a a two thousand and five, you know, uh, whatever, <laughs> you know, Ford, because they all look the same. The, uh, you know, the, the, the aerodynamic standards, the, the cafe, the, the corporate average fuel economy, uh, all the airbags. you got like 12 airbags on a car now, whatever it is. These things are horrible. 
you know, well, airbags are yeah. airbags, great, go for it. You know, I don't personally love them. Uh, get a good, good seatbelt and I'm happy. Uh, but there's so much that goes into the regulating of cars. They all look horrible. Nobody goes to a car show to look at uh, cars made before 1972. I mean, after 1972. You all want the muscle cars, the classic cars. You know, if you've got a Chevelle, you know, or you've got a, a you know, a 65 Mustang or a 61 Corvette, everybody gets excited. Nobody gets excited over, uh, you know, a 2012, I don't know, Prius. because cars cars are boring so has anybody looked into well let's look at the automakers how are they doing financial wise are people just accepting these boring cars or 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 is there a need or a want or a secondary market that's measurable in or would there be a demand for really interesting cars and i we have the the action radio man group (laughs) where i've been posting a lot of classic cars lately like a 1930 bugatti yeah you know, these are beautiful. Well, you, you you have to understand that all the automakers have their niche, right? Okay. So, okay. like, you know, Toyota is going to be like the Camry. The Camry is like America's longest-lasting car, one of the most reliable cars on the road. Then they got the smaller version, the Corolla. You know, the Corolla is like one of the top-selling cars. Like, I, I think it's in the top five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, then you've, then you've got uh, – you know, Toyota's Tacoma, you know, their mid-sized truck, which like dominated that sector of the market forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you move on to like Ford and for Ford, it's trucks and uh, the Mustang, those are their staples, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you move over to Chevy, it's you know, Chevy is their trucks, and then it's the Corvette, and then, you know, a couple other cars. I mean, each maker has their own. So, they could, and, and that's really the restructuring that they did a long time ago. You know, everybody knew Pontiac, Buick, and um, Chevy and, and GMC, they're all the same maker, and they literally have different versions of all the same. But, you know, back in the day, they were making so many cars, they were realizing, look, you know, we can kind of narrow this down. Um, so mm-hmm. they decided to, you know, get rid of Buick, uh, Saturn, um, Pontiac. Um, mm-hmm. Even Toyota had their – huh? Is Oldsmobile still a separate brand, or is that all gone too? Is it just GM? Oh no, it's no. gone. Yeah, yeah, Oldsmobile okay. is gone. You know what I mean? It was right. gone with Buick and Oldsmobile, but um, you know, I, mm. Toyota had their own little um, Scion. You know, that was a branch of Toyota, and right. they even got rid of that. Um, you know, the car you want, that '86 or whatever it is, was basically mm-hmm. a Scion FRS or SRS or something like that. Well, it's actually a Subaru. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the Subaru makes a similar car, very similar. It's like a Subaru engine, the boxer engine. Subaru motor. does as well. Yeah, it has has, yeah. A, has a different motor in it, though. Um, you know, so yeah. the, the motors are, are not the same, you know. So, uh, anywho. Yeah, like uh, Toyota's Scion better. Had, <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Scion actually had all Toyota parts in it, you know what I mean? So, um, mm-hmm. um, anyway, you know, I, all of them, I, I think uh, right now, financially, I think all the automakers are doing well or their stock prices would be cratered. Um, you know, nobody, yeah. nobody buys. Ford, Ford has a, a huge moat of shares. Uh, GM does as well. Now, GM um, also, and I've got, I've got clients that have this. Uh, GM, mm-hmm. when, they, um, when they failed back in 08 and 09, um, and had to get bailouts, um, their stock price, they, they, they canceled it. But what they did do was they issued warrants for a, each stock price that everybody owned. And what a warrant is, it says, um, basically, if the company ever hits financial stability that they were before, then they have to pay the people for their stock. Um, hmm. you know, so they'll, they'll come back in. So the company actually did that. They don't have to do that. But I'm going to tell you how many warrants ever pay out next to none. Right. You know, they do it yeah. to kind of make people feel good, you know, and yeah. then it, then nothing ever happens with it. It becomes a nothing burger. 
Well, I like the the GR86 uh, or 87. I forgot what it is. Anyway, GR, I think it stands for Gazoo Racing. It's the Toyota's racing team. And what they've done mm-hmm. is the, for, for us real drivers, you know, people that like real cars, it's, it's a six-speed stick shift, uh, rear engine, or no, front engine, rear wheel drive. It's like a traditional, it's like a real car. I hope it's big enough mm-hmm. for me because I'm 6'1". <laughs> we'll find out. I have a kind of awkwardly proportioned, but uh, that's always been a problem with cars. But my favorite car uh, of all time was a 1977 Toyota Celica because it looked like a Mustang. It looked exactly like a Mustang. Mm-hmm. You know, the, from the front yeah. headlights to the taillights, it was a Mustang. It was a five-speed, and I whipped that thing all over San Francisco in the hills and the curvy roads and the, 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 the beautiful roads along the shoreline and these, uh, you know, these winding you know, trails and things. Oh, I love that car. I had so much fun with it. Although being a stick shift, there are certain hills in San Francisco that you simply could not take. You, there are just certain roads you did not go on because you were not survived. You'd be rolling backwards even with the brake on, and you could not get it into gear. So once you learn where those were, it was great. But is there a, you know, remember when Thunderbird came out with their, their remade T-Bird? It, it looked sort of like the 59, but it didn't. You're talking about the, the porthole windows? Yeah, it didn't catch on, though. Yeah. So, so... One would think that if someone came out with an interesting car, like this Toyota is really hard to get right now because it's a sports car. It's fun. We don't really have driving cars anymore. We've got sedans. We've got SUVs. We've got trucks and things like that. And those are great for their, for their niches, as you say. But the, you know, where, where, where do drivers go? And is there a market for cars that are interesting or classic? Or well, they are. Cars or you know, I mean, it's, it's narrowed down to, you know, I mean, you're, you've got your, um, you know, your, I don't want to call them rice rockets, but rice rocket enthusiasts, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know what I mean? So you've, you've got your, you've got your uh, Subaru, you know what I mean? The, the WRX. Um, then you've got your 86 car that you're talking about or the Subaru version of it. Um, you know, you got like the Honda Civic. So those guys, they have a huge, huge market of people that follow them. Mazda's got their little Speed 3 that they're bringing back. Um, okay, Toyota's good. about to get to that market. They're bringing out a Corolla that's like 300 horsepower. <laughs> oh, you know, so, it's getting interesting. Yeah, so so it it is it is a, it is a niche market for people that yeah. like to drive, you know, either little fast cars, and then you move up to the Mustang, which has always been a staple, the Camaro, right, the Corvette. You know, right. I mean, those ones are are the drivers' cars. Those are you know the American versions of them. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. then you got you know your European versions, the BMWs, the M3s, the AMGs. You know, what I mean, like uh, Porsche. You know, they, they, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that, that gets more into your exotics, really. Um, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, you've got, you've got, uh, well, Porsche does have the poor man's Porsche. <laughs> you know, I think it's, <laughs> and Mercedes, you know, too. Entry-level Porsche, which is like 70 grand. <laughs> um, I think it was that bad. Yeah. Can you still get a 911? Huh? I mean, those are, those, well, I guess the 911s are too small, but, uh, yeah. Well, those are, those too, are 911 yeah. is pricey. Yeah, the one I'm oh, okay. talking about is, is is a step down from that. It, it looks like okay. it, but it's like a little bit smaller. It's a two door. Um, uh-huh. I can't remember the brand of it, but you can get into them, um, you know, stripped out basically, you know, with no no options for about seventy grand, seventy five grand. And it's a, you know, I think it's got like a three hundred horsepower two two seventy five. You know, and the car weighs like twenty five hundred pounds. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the thing, the thing will probably go to zero sixty in four seconds. I would say. See, I don't, um, and, I don't care about that. I don't have to go fast. I just have to look like I'm going fast. <laughs> I'm one of these guys. Right, right, you know. right. <laughs> and I'm not a pure. And I, I, I'll take a sixty, you know, sixty-eight, sixty-nine Firebird, uh, and put in it a, yeah. a newer engine. I don't care about the. I don't care about the engine. I want it to run well. I'd rather, have, but I don't want a, you know, computerized. So what are you going to put a Toyota, a Toyota Corolla yeah. motor in it? <laughs> well, I could do that. 
<laughs> you know, I thought, well, but, but with the Tier 86, I mean, it's got a good engine to begin with. Uh, my question is how much of a, right. the, the electronics don't I need? So in other words, it, it seems to me that after COVID, people are like, I want to get back to living. Is there more demand? Is there more consumer demand? Uh, and is this reflected in the market for people that want to have fun again? In other words, cars that are a little more exciting to drive, you know, maybe travel, maybe, maybe houses a little more interesting or, or is something, you know, products that, that, that are that maybe more luxury things. Are people buying more boats, for example? And I'm just, I'm just curious. The post-COVID economy. I don't economy. see that yet. I, okay. would be, I would be looking more for 2024 in my personal opinion. Okay. And I say huh. that because um, that's going to be a, a presidential election year. And, you know, I mean, yeah. that. Yeah, that that being said, you know what I mean, like the the people will start pushing different things, you know what I mean? Like, you know, first off, I mean, you can pretty much guarantee gas because oh, where'd you go? That's oh, what you're back. Broken. Huh? What's you, that? Just, you just cut up for a second. You can pretty much guarantee and that's the last thing I heard. Oh, I said you can pretty much guarantee gas prices are going to go down in 2024, right? <laughs> so it's an election. Well, we don't have the strategic petroleum right. reserve. What what's Brandon going to use to bribe us with? I have no idea, but and I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll figure something out, man. But you know, I mean, the, the automakers, um, you know, I mean, I think, you know, with this with this electric push, and they realize that they're a little bit ahead of the game, um, you know, that that might open some doors for some new things. Mm-hmm. But I, I do gotta I do gotta hit the road, Greg. I hate to cut you off, man. That's fine, no problem at all. Listen, uh, Pianki just joined us here, so we'll catch you next week. And uh, thank you very much. Appreciate the report. Okay. Actually, it won't be next week. I'll, it'll be the following. The week after. That's right. Okay, I'll catch you the week after. Yeah. There All right, go. Greg. All take right. care. Take care. Yeah, okay. that was fun. That was a fun chat. We talked cars. <laughs> this is the first time we've done that. We actually we actually talked cars the whole time. I really enjoyed that. That was a good time. Pianchi, you just missed Eric, so he had to leave a couple minutes early. And then I have another guest. Uh, CJ is coming on. We're going to get to wellness. And then I got a, a WBY classic with the herbal pharmacist. So we're going to switch over to wellness. In the meantime, um, I've had a. It's been an interesting hour with my first half hour, and then Derek's. Uh, we talked cars the whole time. What's up, sir? Good morning. Well, you know, on the gasoline, <clears throat> you used to put the mobile in our motorcycles. You could tell the difference. And then when we would go, when I used to go across the, we used to drive over across the river, uh-huh. East St. Louis, on the Strip, we fill up with some Sunoco 260. See, Sunoco had five grades of fuel. Remember those dial pumps? For folks that don't know, Sunoco, that's the Sun Oil Company. That's another one of the, uh, the breakups when uh, Standard Oil was broken up um, by the antitrust folks. I think it was the 1920s. They became Chevron, Mobil, Exxon, um, Texaco, Gulf, uh, and there's a couple of others in there. Sunoco is one of them. And I think I've got – is that all seven? Anyway, Sunoco – was was known for having these these dial pumps, and you had about four or five different grades of fuel you could choose from. Of course, each you know the higher the octane, in other words, the more resistance to what we call detonation, in other words, exploding fuel as opposed to burning evenly, um, the more expensive it was. Which makes sense. It's better fuel. You got more mileage if you had the engine that could take it. So did you? So do you remember the grades that they had, the octane grades from the old Sunoco pumps? No, I don't remember the the octane grades. That was a mm-hmm. long time ago. But mm-hmm. I know one thing. We used to put the 260 in there and this stuff. And you'll, like, I used to ride a BMW. It was just two cylinder horizontally opposed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Sunoco seemed like the damn gas cap would pop open on the tank. <laughs> put that stuff I feel there. the need, the need for speed. 
Yeah, so motorcycles. I've never I, I rode one years and years ago. A friend of mine had a dirt bike, and I learned how to uh, ride it, and I was in a field, and I learned how to ride fast when I ran over a bald-faced hornet nest. I learned how to ride very fast, very quickly. Fortunately, I outpaced the uh, running, racing across this this open field, you know, with a whole bunch of hornets chasing me. That was an interesting time, but yeah. So I, uh, I was a little more careful, you know. But I never rode a motorcycle again, not because of that, just because I didn't have the opportunity. Motorcycles are fun, though. But uh, I've always worried about the other cars. I don't worry about my ability to ride a motorcycle. That's never been a question for me, you know. But uh, but the uh, but the unknown. The, I, I've not known a motorcycle person that hasn't had a car do something stupid, you know, that caused them an accident. Well, we used to ride on the highway. We used to tra- travel, you know, state state, drive down to Atlanta, Kansas City, Kansas City International, watch the races, uh-huh. drive, ride down to New Orleans or wherever. And I didn't care much for riding in the streets because it is dangerous in the streets. And uh, we used to travel like that. I had a friend of mine. He used to have a a survival rifle, one of those twenty twos. You could break down and put it in the stock. We used to carry his in case we ran into some fools. And we'd have, you know, we just had to travel like that. But uh, it is different than the fuel. But then, I don't know about now, because the only thing I do is put it in a car. But uh, you could tell the difference on a motorcycle. And mobile used to run clean. You used to leave like a, a white residue around the outside of your muffler. And uh, that was pretty clean. Huh. In the in the one bike I had, I put oversized pistons and dual valve springs, and uh, you could run up to over a hundred miles an hour in second gear. That must have been loud. I hear these bikes that are winding up in these incredible speeds. Um, you know, and it's like it seems like they're in the wrong gear. Why would you want to do that, though? We just wanted to. We were young men. We just wanted to experiment with things. Okay. As far as flying airplanes, twelve. <laughs> yeah, I, I worry about. Well, I got my guest right now. We're still, uh, CJ's on the line right now, but I, I worry about mm-hmm. uh, the the young men today. Don't seem to have the same sense of adventure we did. Now they're probably you know they don't do the crazy things we did because they're doing other stuff. You know, to them, crazy is social media. To uh, to me, you know, flying airplanes was normal. <laughs> you know, and and bike riding. Yeah, was, was, crazy too. We should do that also. Yeah, the thing that you want yeah. to do when you take off, like we flew out of Horseshoe Lake there off of Route 3 in Illinois uh-huh. at a Horseshoe Lake airport and forgot to turn the uh, gas off. So we got over across the up and over the road on the other side and ran out of gas and had to land in the guy's cornfield. Plane flipped over. Nobody got hurt, but we had to buy some, maybe two or three bushes of beans. <laughs> wow. Hey, listen, hang on for a second. We got to, we have a new person uh, here, and uh, let me just announce our, our, our new person, because we are back to wellness with CJ. So it's been a while since we had uh, wellness uh, on the show. We had our, our Wine, Women, and Wellness Hour. We had, uh, you know, Chansey and Lindsay and, and Paige, and we really had a great time with it. And I miss having all the different wellness folks on the show. So recently I, I uh, met CJ, and so we're going to hear all about her uh, organization, company, philosophy, knowledge, and all those different things. And so I want to welcome a new person to the show. And, and CJ's report, which is going to be – oh, hang on. I wrote it down here. What, what I put it? Ah. 
CJ's wellness weight. What is your report called? <laughs> Where is it's it? Called, uh, we're going to do CJ's wellness watch. Thank you. I know I put it on my schedule, but I can't find it right now. So CJ's wellness watch. So let me get to, I just want to do one thing right here. Da, 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 da. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Ah, here we go. <laughs> So welcome to the show. And again, you know, I love having, oh, you're welcome. I I love having wellness stuff on the show. It's been a while since we've been able to talk about this. And actually I found, um, I wanted to play uh, one of my WEBY classic interviews, all the ones that that never got aired again after the first time. Uh, So we put them on podcast so people can listen. Uh, This guy, David Foreman, who's the the, the herbal pharmacist. So you can uh, Uh put that on on this too, so you can check the podcast later or listen to it live. Um, but, um, But this is a big concern. To me, because especially ever since COVID, you know, the uh, the doctors, the, the government doctors have been wrong. They're killing people. They killed a million people right. with government policy, you know, and those of us that have been right like you were. And we didn't know about each other then, but we were all becoming friends now. But uh, all of us crusaders said, no, this is wrong. This is a big hoax. This is ridiculous. You know, it's a flu bug, <laughs> you know, get some nutrition, get some uh-huh. rest, get over it. And if you're really sick, yeah, but don't go to the hospital because they're going to put you on the remdesivir ventilator death march. So it's critical for us now to be, to be well-versed, well-known, uh, and to seek, I wouldn't even call it alternative medicine, I would just call it medicine, but find, call it appropriate medicine. But uh, what is uh-huh. not appropriate is to go to a hospital that is committed to following the government protocol where they make money for killing you than they do for saving you, and that ethically they find that okay. That to me is psychopathic. Uh-huh. With that, happy exactly. <laughs> CJ, tell us about you. Tell us your story. Wow. Well, um, you can kind of, you know, prompt me and let me know what you want to know. But um, my my company is called H2O Wellness, and everybody uh-huh. thinks H2O stands for stands for water, and obviously water is a part of wellness. Uh, yeah, I did. exactly. <laughs> um, but but you know, when when I um, I'll give you a quick backstory, and then like I said, I'll let you ask me whatever questions you you want to ask me. Quick backstory, uh-huh. when I created my wellness company, I wanted a company that reflected the character of who who I am as a person. So the acronym actually H2O stands for helping to serve others, and then the company is actually helping to serve others worldwide. So it's H2O Wellness Network, and then it's just at gmail.com if anybody wanted to contact me. But I've been in, I'm 53 years old, so I have been in the health, wellness, fitness arena, probably since about the age of 18. And the the direction in which I have headed obviously has evolved over the years. I used to be a personal trainer. I used to do bodybuilding competitions. Then I got into the nutrition, and then I got into holistic stuff, and then I got my integrative nutrition degree. And so it's just become um, literally an integrative part of my life and my passion for quite some time now. And so that is what I do from my home, and I'm a homeschool mom. And so over the past, you know, four years, obviously, like a lot of other wellness professionals out there who are, you know, a lot more knowledgeable than I am, um, we have all collaborated together to work together to help people to find different solutions, whether it has to do with COVID or the things going on in the world right now, or if it's just people's eyes have been opened to any health challenges that they have had over the years, taking a more holistic approach to that. And I think it's really important 
for people to have a variety of resources and knowledge that can come together, you know, kind of like as a team, right? Like with kids in school and public school, you used to have, I don't even know if they have it now, you know, IEPs where you develop like a learning protocol, you know, a team of mm-hmm. people that help kids learn who have learning challenges. Well, you have a team of wellness professionals um, around you that can collaborate together to help you. So um, that's kind of become, a, you know, basically what I do pretty much, pretty much all the, all the time now. And it, it's been a great blessing to be able to be a part of this evolving process, especially how we've been challenged with new things over the past mm-hmm. few years. Yeah, a few new things, yeah. First of all, I know what you look like, and I would not have believed for a second that you're 53 years old. I was thinking like 38. (laughs) And so uh, (laughs) whatever you're absolutely gorgeous, and whatever you're doing is working. And that, I think, really goes to to my initial question, is that if you take care of yourself, you know, you look better, you feel better, you look better longer, that premature aging is a huge problem with our, our current diet and obesity and, and blood pressure and stress and, uh, you know, all the chemical and, indu- you know, things that people are, are putting in their system. That didn't, we didn't even talk about COVID yet, but uh, just at, at a base level. You know, people are, are well, unintentionally suicidal almost with the, 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 the regular diet, the regular stress, the regular problems, the regular everything else. Well, the thing is you have so many, right? There's, there's so many things that are, we're only responsible for us. Like that's just a general statement in life. We can mm-hmm. only control our choices and our behaviors. We can't control right. anybody else or anybody else, right? So mm-hmm. that goes back to health, wellness, nutrition, whatever category you want to lump all that under. You know, we're only mm-hmm. responsible for the choices that we make. But there's a lot of stimulus and a lot of things and factors that are completely out of our control. So the more knowledge and resources we have, to manage the things that we don't have any control over, the mm-hmm. better off that we're going to be, you know, and, and it's just about bringing knowledge and resources to people who don't have that and then letting them choose what they want to apply or what they don't want to apply. You know, it's interesting. There's a, uh, what I call the cult of the expert uh, in that people will, will take things that, you know, make no sense whatsoever simply because it's given by someone that they have determined or been told is the authority. In other words, with no evidence what at all, people are willing to take uh, what is called a vaccine that isn't. So we can get a COVID here for a little bit um, for something that's not approved when they say it is uh, for something that has no proven track record, has no safety record, has no nothing that alters your genes that screws around with your system that adds spike proteins and does everything else. And people are feeling guilty if they don't get it. How do people twist exactly. their minds around? You know, there's, we have a psychological medical problem, and the psychology of of people have given up their their brain, they've given up their their rationality, yeah. they've given up the ability to use their own judgment, they've given up their discretion, they've given up logic and reason, they've given up everything. Well, you know, and the cult of the expert. Well, let's what do you think? Back, you know, you said you 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 said something that just triggered something in my head. You know, and I was really praying about how this broadcast was going to go, and really let the Lord lead me as far as what I was going to say, and you brought something up, um, uh-huh. you know, what you said is so true in a general statement, because think about this. From the day that we are born, we are taught to be obedient. We are taught mm. rules, right? Don't touch the outlet. No, you have to eat your dinner before you can have a treat. We're, we're, we're always told no. I mean, that's a whole other psychological topic that I could go in. I, I actually have a, a minor in psychology. When I was in school, I actually majored in psychology and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just, just the statement that you said, going back to the whole COVID thing, is we are taught authority from a, from a young age. So 
for us to challenge what we think is authority, which is really not, is a struggle for some people, or even to question that by using our own God-given brain and thoughts, because we are trained from an infant on to be rule-regulated. And so Mm -hmm. if every human being, you know, is brought up like that, right, we all are, right, that's just become the norm, we're taught that. Why would, if we're not, if we don't do anything different along that path, why would an adult who's been trained, even like in business, or if you have a job, if you have a boss, you, you're conditioned to go by the rules. And if somebody is not a rebel, I don't even like using the word rebel. It's just common sense. If no, I'm a rebel. Somebody, <laughs> I'm a rebel yeah, in my life. That's a good word here. Yeah. yeah. But if somebody is not, um, I don't even want to say the words I'm thinking about. But if somebody is not willing to question authority, they're going to mm-hmm. do what they're told because that's what we have been taught. And mm-hmm. so coming mm-hmm. up, for, for somebody to question authority is not the norm. Or we give in to authority, and then after the fact, we go back and say, wait a minute, should I have done that or should I have questioned that? Or maybe wasn't that the right decision? And I think that narrative of the statement I just said plays into – everything that we have been through over the first, over these past four years. But again, if we, as an infant, we, we are carrying that on. We, we are conditioned to respond in a certain way without questioning it. Well, you get approval when you're obedient, you know, your whole psyche, right. your whole uh, being. Um, you're new to Action Radio, so let me tell you that uh, I never know where the conversations are going to go. I do not plan them out really carefully and this way open to wherever we talk about. So if you start with, you know, if you come in with one topic and we go off in some wild tangential direction, that's really fun to talk about. That's, 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 that's kind of where we go. So we're, this is a very spontaneous show. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So just to let folks know again, CJ is going to be joining us next Thursday uh, at 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern for a regular report. You know, CJ's wellness. Let me write it down here. So I have it for myself. CJ's, what do you call it again? We'll mention it one more time. CJ's wellness watch. There we go. So I'm, I'm going to put it down on top of my page here so I have it. But um, I, I came up with a new term as you were talking, and that of health psychology. In other words, in order for okay. you to be treated with nutrition and with different therapies and, uh, you know, whatever it is, chiropractic, it doesn't matter what it is, you have to have a psychology for it. You really have to be in a mental state to be able to accept it. You know, essential oils, any of those things, um, you know, especially nutrition. We'll get into that in a little bit. But if you're so obedient, that you've given up your own judgment and coming back to the same thing, then the, one of the first things you have to treat is people's attitude. Do you find exactly. that? Yeah, 110%. I mean, this, this, all this stuff incorporates so many things, you know, and people have to be open, open to hearing new, new things, new ideas, and it takes us back to the whole grounding of, you know, where, where did our original authority come from, right? And God gave us everything on this earth that we need, everything, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just been over, over time where the pharmaceutical industri- industries have come in, where other things have come into play. And I want to make sure on every broadcast that I say this, and it might get redundant, but it's important for me that I repeat this, you know, I am not a naturopathic doctor. I am not a doctor. I'm an integrative nutritionist. I do everything that I can from a holistic standpoint, I have a lot of colleagues that I actually partner with and have conversations with on a daily basis where I help my clients and we work together, as I mentioned at the beginning. But, you know, there is a time and a place 
for doctors, for nurses, for hospitals, and pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I come from a background of medical professionals. That being said, um, I've even told my family this, you know, and they're not in the same headspace as I am. I don't like (laughs) doctors and nurses because, you know, I'm like, the only doctor I've ever loved has been my father, you know. And But the thing is, you know, me growing up, Mm -hmm. it's like whole industry of the medical profession has changed not for the better. Even though we've had um, more, I don't want to even say solutions, but more things available to help certain people with certain things. I totally acknowledge that. But mm-hmm. the bedside manner has gone to a, a wayside. The openness to different solutions has gone by the wayside. It, it hasn't become truly about helping the person and the patient. It has become all about the money. And I saw that firsthand because I used to work in my father's office throughout mm-hmm. high school and college and kind of be his assistant. You know, he was a private practice. And, you know, he, we were very blessed growing up and we were in such a position where, you know, my, my father would help people and give them services, even if they could, if they could not pay the bill. He was all about helping people. And you don't find the whole industry has just changed. And so that's why, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get backlash for this, but I have very little respect for the medical community right now. Not on this show. That's just <laughs> going to be backlash for me. I mean, someone else yeah, may, but I'm not so going to do it. That's just my, yeah. you know. That's just yeah. my, my stance, but I totally acknowledge that there's absolutely a time and a place for those mm-hmm. services and needs, you know, but nine times out of 10, you can probably find a solution where you don't have to go down that route most of mm-hmm. the time, not all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been, uh, you know, a believer in nutrition. I've taken care of myself. I've always exercised, you know, I've always had extra weight, which I am trying to get rid of again, but most of that's due to heart surgery. So my story with medicine is that uh, six years ago, October 24th of 2016, I had open heart surgery to repair a valve. Now, I don't think there's nutrition or or a bunch of stuff that could have uh, fixed that valve. They they actually had to go in, you know, the long way, (laughs) you know, actually through my side, you know, go into the heart and trim the valve and now it fits perfectly and it works, which is great. That's where medicine was at its best. Now, they almost killed me three weeks later with blood centers because my chest filled with fluid and I almost suffocated to death. That's the bad side. So I get, I get the best and the worst, you know, all within about three weeks. And so uh, mm-hmm. I have no respect for, I think pharmaceuticals are incredibly dangerous. I think they're misused. Uh, we know that doctors are the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Uh, and so that, and that, if that, you know, and people are worried about gun control. I mean, give me a break. You, you, you need doctor control, <laughs> especially these days, right. you know, when, when the open protocols are designed to kill people. I mean, remdesivir, give me a break. That causes kidney well, failure, yeah, chest filled yeah. with fluid. Then they give you a ventilator to push the, the fluid out the other end, right. you know, and, it, it, and people end up dying, and, and then they're surprised. But they get money, so it's okay to them. Right. See well, that? that's why I think, you know, um, switching this up a little bit, the, the mm-hmm. pros and cons, you know, when you look at what the past four years has done, there's mm-hmm. been, fortunately or unfortunately, some silver linings. I mean, think about all of the people that – I'm going to speak for you and for myself that we have been able to meet and connect with like you and I and all the amazing Mm -hmm. people that have come together to offer different solutions and collaborate together. And, you know, prior to these four years, I never heard of any of these people. I never had any of these people. (laughs) We we have great work to do. So we we have a lot of things to cover. So I'm, I'm thrilled meeting you. Yeah, this is great. But but knowledge is power. Knowledge Mm -hmm. is power. And that's in any, any arena, right? If you have Mm -hmm. the knowledge, it's always a choice. You can choose to apply it. You can choose to resource it, 
or you can choose to brush it under the rug. So, Mm -hmm. you know, all the different guests that you are having on um, and providing people with resources, to me, that's a blessing. That's like having so many options at your fingertips um, Mm -hmm. that it's a gift. It, It really is a gift. And to know that not one person is out to outdo the other person, we are all here for such a time as this as a community to help each other and work together to help our neighbors and people who are, are wanting the help and the information. You know, it's interesting when I think about the folks that come on the show, we are, uh, you know, one big happy family. I say that all the time. We're one big team. There's two things I find in common. Uh, people that come on this show uh, as guests or, or as, you know, regular reporters or anybody, even callers, uh, we all have a strong belief in God and we have a strong belief in freedom and you can't have one without the other. And the people that do exactly. believe in God and, and do believe in freedom we don't, we're, we're a team because we're all in this together. So you don't have the, the, the competition, the, the, uh, the dangers. And I love competition. You know, I, I don't mind, you know, sticking my show or, or having my show up against any other show because what we do is unique. Nobody can touch this exactly. show in the world. We're the only citizen legislature on a radio show in the world. And so I'm kind of happy. Right. With that. I like being a pioneer, but that's, that, you know, that's, that's nice, but that's not why I'm doing it. <clears throat> you know, why I do it is to bring the greatest freedom, the greatest number worldwide. And we start here because right. uh, this is the best opportunity. And then we go from there. But what I didn't know before I got in this is how common those two things would be that the strong belief in freedom is always coupled with a strong belief in God. You can't have one without the other. And so be- and because of that, that's what makes us a community. That's what brings us all together, you know, under freedom and under God. And because of that, uh, that's where the competition goes away. And we are all helping each other there. And so that, that's a, that was a revelation for me, uh, you know, a fascinating one as I got more and more into this and the people that gathered that, that were attracted to the show had these all, all have these same qualities. I just found that fascinating. Right. No, I, th- I think that is, that is great, and it's definitely a community. And, you know, for me, I think what kind of sets me apart, and like I said, you asked me on the show because I was like, wait a minute, I'm just me. Like, there's nothing special about me. I'm just here to yeah, help like everybody else, no, no, you know. No, no. Um, yeah, there is. <laughs> but, but, well, I appreciate that. Well, but everybody has their unique niche, and that's why I say, you know, I collaborate with a lot of people who are in my arena, and that's why today, mm-hmm. like I said, I have another call at 10 o'clock because I'm, I'm collaborating with um, an ND who's a really good friend of mine here locally to provide different testing for my mm-hmm. clients you know, at a little bit of a discounted rate. And so we work, you know, we work together as a team, you know, to help people. But with with the way I've structured my business and my services, you know, if my clients are open to it, like I pray for my clients. I pray for what is the best route to take for you because it's not one shoe fits all. Just because one herb, one supplement may fit me or you that doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's good and too praying if the fit is right because everybody that reaches out to me i don't want to work with i mean you know we just gotta gotta be real not everybody meshes with one another so you have to have that coagulation as well of you know having uh, being being meshed correctly with the person that's going to best serve your needs and you're going to be able to communicate with best so i believe praying for you know, Lord, bring me the next best client that I can really help. You know, I don't want to waste somebody's time or money. I want to help find a solution for people. You know, structure things how you want to want it to be structured for my company. I don't have to be like everybody else. So um, I think that's a really big part of it. And to have people who are on that same 
path and to have found that in this movement over the past four years um, has been a really important component, I think. Hmm. I hear the dog in the background, too. That's kind of fun. <laughs> we get that all the time. Yeah, I thought I've got dogs galore here. Yeah, it's okay. That's fine. You know, I, we've had every animal, you know, I still remember Alan Dawson and when he called us from Belize, when he had a break in his tour guide job, we'd have these tropical birds squawking on the lines. Fun. Um, this is fascinating. And, and the term God-based medicine came to mind as you were talking. And so uh, yeah. I wonder if you could put a sign like, we practice God-based medicine. Well, what's that? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, 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 yeah. uh, you know, it's not Christian scientism. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's faith plus uh, logic plus knowledge plus uh, action. Um, th- tell me about, about your company. Tell me about H2O. I want to hear the story of that, how it got started, how you thought of it, what, uh, how you kind of compose this thing. What, what's, what's that story? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to condense it for you because it's interesting no, how, ahead, how it occurred. We, we got the rest of the hour. We got um, plenty of time. <laughs> take all the time you want. If we if well, pick up the story next week, I don't care. <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, H2O stands for helping to serve others because that's really mm-hmm. my heart in every capacity. That I, that's how I live my life in general. And I would say after being in the fitness and personal training and wellness industry and all that stuff, for, you know, 20 plus years, I would say it's been maybe 15 at least years ago. It was interesting. Um, H2O wellness was not always H2O wellness, even though, mm-hmm. um, again, I've been in this industry since the age of 18 years old. Mm. I actually had an event planning company because um, when I was in the fitness industry, I would plan all the events for all the gyms. I opened up a lot of gyms around here. I love a good party but I love the party to benefit somebody else. So if somebody's going to pay me $10,000 for an event, um, mm-hmm. then I would rather have that $10,000 go to a charity or something like that. So I was basically a nonprofit just because I love to plan parties. So it was called H2O. Um, mm-hmm. That's exactly what it was. And so one day I was teaching a cycle class and all of a sudden the Lord put on my heart, you don't need to be doing event planning anymore. You need to change this, and you need to change your focus to really helping more people with health and wellness. And so when I'm supposed to be teaching a class, right, and, you know, pumping people up, which I did, and I, I love that stuff, the Lord laid it on my heart that H2O needed to stand for helping to serve others with wellness and mm-hmm. changed it right then and there to a wellness company. And with my faith and relationship in Jesus, I've been disobedient many times in my life. And I was like, okay, I guess I need to be obedient and listen to you because you have a plan <laughs> it's for that. It's easier. I have no idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, yeah. So honestly, that, that, that's how H2O event planning turned into H2O wellness. Mm-hmm. And H2O just, just kind of took off from there. I kind of transitioned. I started putting myself out there just just word of mouth and with the relationships I already had in the fitness industry. And um, I've been very blessed to, I've had formal training in mm-hmm. nutrition, but I have a lot of companies that I affiliate marketing with that help people. And I have a lot of um, companies. I'm not talking about Amazon. I mean, some doctors all around the world where I have my clients have access to whole food supplementation that doesn't have any fillers in, any of the crap in, and you can't find that stuff like typically on Amazon or a big box store or anything like that. So I've been very Mm -hmm. blessed to be trained by 
doctors around the world to where I have gone to conferences and I have done this and I have done that. But I have had formal training, right, from an integrative perspective to get that piece of paper and I've gone through the courses and all that. Um, but a lot of my knowledge and a lot of my resources are from doctors and scientists in New Zealand, Australia, and all over the all over the world. So that's been a huge blessing. So that's kind of how the event planning company turned into H2O Wellness. And that's been, like I said, I'm 53 years now, so that's probably been since the age of about 28 years old. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny how God reaches us, uh, and it speaks at a level that we understand. So from you, you know, it, it was this this pathway that you know you you know I have a different idea for you. With with me, you know, God reaches me through ideas because He knows I'm an ideas, and so flooded my head with ideas. You know, from from talk radio to action radio, from writing citizen legislation, from putting them both together in ways that no one else has ever thought of, to doing all the things we do here. So I in my head pops with ideas constantly. <laughs> you know, that's how that's how God reaches me. And so it's interesting that the, if you listen, if you're open to it, God will find a way to talk to you in, the, in the, the language that you understand most or are most readily willing to accept. And with me, like I say, uh-huh. that's ideas. Yeah, it's fascinating how that works. Um, I've got a ton of questions here. Fitness, uh, and you're a personal trainer. So what did you find about, I guess, let's, let's talk about before you got into this, you know, and then uh, in the process of, of doing, you know, physical training and, and uh, did you have a company? Did they have rules? Did they, those rules make sense? Could you teach the way you wanted to? Um, did you find a bunch of flaws with it? Was it a good system? What, what, what did you get involved working as a professional like a fitness trainer? Um, well, you know, as, as, and I'm sure there's people, that, you know, listening that are very familiar with personal training or have done it themselves. You know, you you are your your own business. You know, I've, um, okay. But if you work for a company, there are some rules and regulations and things that the way you need to do. If you're not independent, you don't mm-hmm. make, you know, necessarily your own hours, your own income, things like that. You have a tier if you work for a gym or a company that they provide to you and give to you. So it all depends on how you go about um, your personal training. And so for me. I don't take orders very well. so <laughs> That's probably why you're I'm here. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's another common I, trait with, <laughs> that's another common thing with action uh, radio people. None uh, of us take orders very well. We just right? don't. It's just, I mean, you know, well, yeah. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a very driven, motivated idea person. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't need somebody to motivate me or, or encourage me. I don't need somebody. People need, need structure and being told what to do and function that way, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't function that way. And so um, I love personal training. I absolutely, because I love fitness. Like I said, I love helping people in any capacity as possible, uh-huh. and that was just my, my passion. Um, but I found for me, I was better off doing things on my own with the knowledge I had because I could bring other people in to the equation if there was something that I didn't know how to handle or a situation or whatever, I could collaborate with other people, whereas if I'm being structured by somebody else, and there again, we go back to that whole rule thing, right? We're used to following rules. If I mm-hmm. have to follow rules and guidelines of a corporation, then whether those rules and guidelines are most beneficial to helping my client or the person that I'm with doesn't matter. Let me just give you an example of a side note, and I'm, I'm going a little bit off the rabbit trail here, but it just shows you an, oh, an example. Uh, we, we live so, for rabbit holes, so, so go to any rabbit hole you want. You're, you're not limited like here, whole, so feel free. Yeah, but 
but this but this is kind of a uh, uh, weird, but it kind of goes with the whole rules thing, and mm-hmm. it comes full circle in our in our conversation and the whole COVID thing and the health and wellness, following the rules and making certain decisions that maybe some people didn't want to make and not questioning authority. When I was mm-hmm. in um, the fitness industry, like I said, I had a lot of I was a manager and a coordinator because um, that's that's where I'm best at is managing and leading, and those are my gifts. Um, that God has given me and I'm and those are my strengths and I have a lot of weaknesses but those are my strengths and so as managing a group of fitness instructors or a group of personal trainers you know there were times that by management because I was managed by somebody right or a corporation Mm -hmm. where I was asked to do certain things that did not align with my spirit or what I knew was from a morale standpoint a good thing to do. So there was one time, you know, in the fitness industry, and it makes sense, right? It, I mean, I'll give it that. It makes sense. When you're in the fitness industry, you have to look the part and play the part. You know, so if you don't look the part as a fitness instructor or a personal trainer, people aren't really going to take your advice, right? If you're overweight, if you're not in shape, and you're trying to train somebody else. So, hmm. um, How about if you're older? Or if, or How about if older fitness, fitness trainers, fitness. for example? Could you, could you be, oh, you know, 75 yeah. years old and, and be a, a personal trainer? Or would people think, oh, you're told for this. You're probably not even exercising. Was that a perception too? Um, I never personally saw that because I know a lot of older people who are very physically fit. And those would be the mm-hmm. ones that would be choosing that profession. So right. to answer your question, I personally did not encounter that. Um, okay. But I will tell you, when I had to hire fitness instructors, you know, and coordinate things and stuff like that, Mm-hmm. Um, I was asked one time to fire somebody whose chest was not big enough and they did not represent the part. Uh-oh. And oh, that's so chest discrimination? When, I've never, yeah, yeah, that's wild. So, so yeah. yeah, you know, because a lot of instructors, and I'm not putting this down, I'm not one of them, um, but I'm just saying that a lot of fitness instructors, you know, choose, to have certain procedures done and things like that, which is fine. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, you know, Are we talking about a, a not, boob job here? I mean, can we be yeah, blunt? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, you can yeah, say it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and I'm not opposed to that uh, at all. I'm not. Oh. Let me make this clear. I'm not yeah. opposed to that. Different choices for different people. There's nothing wrong with that. All right. I want to make sure your viewers understand that. I'm not against that. Okay. But when I'm asked to let somebody go because they do not look the part because they haven't and but they're a great instructor and they can keep the beat and they're good at what they do when my integrity is challenged or my morale is challenged for making a decision based on the in a in inappropriate um um statistics the inappropriate i don't know what you want to call them but i call it illegal well that that's 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 uh that's illegal to fire somebody because they didn't get certain surgery you can't you can't do that that's that's a that's a probably a civil rights that's every violation is an employment violation equal opportunity violation that's every violation i can think of you can't do that right of course you do exactly so exactly so my point is well i mean i don't have a boob job i was an instructor you know but i'm Hmm. very petite and fit and proportional you know, that's a little bit of TMI. But I'm going back to the whole rules <laughs> and coming back. You'll you know, find whatever. you do that a lot. Yeah, we, we all give all right. up too much information on the show because it's uh, relevant. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. But when your integrity is questioned, my point is I uh-huh. chose, and I was a single mom, right? 
I chose to step out of that position. I did not get fired. I was like, look, question my integrity or do something that I'm not comfortable with. That just is not, is not right. So I did not follow the rules. I left and I just was like, okay, Lord, what am I going to do now? How am I going to support me and my daughter? What am I, but I feel like if, again, if you're obedient, um, it all, it all works, works out. So, you know, that takes us back to questioning authority and where we are right now. And fortunately, I had already created, like I said, H2O wellness. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of trans, a transitional point for me. And it just kind of went from there. Yeah, it's interesting the pathways that uh, that we're put on. Um, I have a very what I call like the jigsaw puzzle life, and all these different pieces that made absolutely no sense. It's like, you know, why is this opportunity close to me, and why is this one open, and why am I doing what I'm doing, and all these like I was a tour guide for eight years. Um, perfect microphone experience for for action radio, quite honestly, um, because I was with live audiences and I was able to really you know work on. I still talk too fast, but you know nobody's perfect. But the problem is. Well, the thing is that these different parts, I thought, because I always wanted to be an airline pilot, and, and I tried several times, and the most amazing things happened, including my eyesight going and uh, uh, the airline's all going broke. You know, God took some major measures to, to keep me out of uh, air travel, which, which is great. And, of course, I took my own measures, too. That's another story. Um, we'll talk about that someday. But the point is that everything that I did in my life, all these opportunities, all the things that were available to me, have all contributed to doing action radio. And I hadn't, would have no idea. I didn't see that picture until I got where I am now. Now I'm 63, so I've got 10 years on you. Um, but uh, here I am starting an entirely new genre of radio, an entirely new political operation, combining them in ways that have never been done before. And I'm, I'm, most of my friends are retiring. Retiring? Hell, I'm just getting started. I finally found a career I like. Right. You know, this is my first exactly. fun job other than flight instructor. I love being a flight instructor. That's by awesome. the way. But even the, but I even got burned out on that because you know I, once I taught everything I could teach, I said okay because I'm like you I need a constant challenge I need to have the, the 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 stimulation I need to have the you know the reward I need to be able to do something I need to be able to accomplish something otherwise if I get bored that's that's like the kiss of death that's the worst <laughs> thing in the world to me is boredom right? you know you know exactly. and so yeah. Um, so exactly, you know what I mean, right? So don't put in a situation where I'm bored. And a lot of companies will do that. And it gets back to what you originally said. <laughs> you know, we live in a world of no. And with my daughter, when I raised her, because I, I heard a lot of no growing up. That's probably why I'm such a rebel. But with her, she was actually, you know, because uh, you reinforce when you obey, you're, re- you're rewarded. Now, my kid was rewarded when she, uh, you know, challenged me in debates. Not, not open authority when I told her something that was essential for mm-hmm. her safety. I don't talk about that. But in terms of you know, go ahead. Disagree with me. You know, talk, let's talk about philosophy. What do you think about this? We, are, you know, we argued over the synchronization of traffic lights for, I think, an hour and a half, whether that was good or bad. Totally inconsequential. Didn't matter. But the process of arguing, you know, I realized how intelligent she was. Uh, and she was rewarded because she was able to challenge and argue and, and that kind of stuff. So you can do all these okay. reinforcements. But the, but the worst thing that happens to kids is the constant no. Now, I see no, okay. like in supermarkets, you know, parents, they keep the kids close. They put them in the carts. Well, at a young age, you have to. But I got, I got, you know, I'm looking at people that could easily walk around that are curious and inquisitive about different products and different things, labels. They see stuff. And the parents never stop to explain things. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? You know, my kid, here's just another right. funny story. You know, my daughter, I gave her a cell phone fairly early because when, when we go shopping, and the whole store was in, we had a, a grocery store that, that knew us, knew both of us, because I'd send her to the far end of the store to go pick up one item, and then she'd come back. And I'd always pick the furthest item from wherever we were. 
for her to go find it. She ran around the store. And of course, like I say, she had a cell phone. I had a cell phone. She was in constant contact with me if anything happened. Um, but that was kind of fun. So we invented this game where she would find stuff, you know, and, and bring it back. And then she brought some extra stuff. I said, what's that? I don't know. It looked cool. Okay, let's think about it. And she, I'd either make her take it back or we keep it. But the point was, it was engaging. And so many parents, I think this is where it all starts, that if you get away from no, say no when you have to. And there are times when you have to say no, usually for safety. But if you don't have to say no, why don't you be a little creative? And that would put, I think, all of us on a much better path and much more open to all the wonderful things. You know, when they say alternative nutrition, which I call nutrition, or alternative medicine, which is medicine, you know, and all these different things, be, we wouldn't have cult of the expert where people are, are looking. They're, they're so conditioned to, to uh, not hear the word no that they avoid hearing the word no by doing exactly as they're told. And this puts people on a dangerous path, and that gets us COVID obedience. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. And mm, sorry, I take a sip of my water. Um, Feel free. I got a big it, can of water beside me, too. Yeah. It's radio. Nobody watches. <laughs> it's okay. Exactly, right. <laughs> I might be in my pajamas. You never know, you know? <laughs> hmm. I can always imagine. Uh, uh, <laughs> I see, like, big uh, red dots. I, I bet you have white pajamas with red, big white red dots. I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. No red dots? Um, but, you okay, know, right. as I'm... Um, as, I, as I'm thinking about it, if anybody spoke to anybody in my family, I was always the rebel in my family. I was always the black sheep. I was the, always the one. I mean, actually, you know, I was, I never got really in trouble as as a kid, but I had to walk a tight line because my father was very, very strict for me. I don't know hmm. how that had to do with him being, um, you know, in the medical community and the persona that we needed to perceive as a perfect family. Or, oh, know, doctors I were God idea, at that but, point. Yeah, interesting. Right, and the, right. Oh, perfect family. Yeah, and, that's, a, that's a huge burden. Yeah. Exactly. But um, so I was never like a bad child. Like, I, you know, I was never like anything like that. But what I'm saying is that I would always go against the grain. And so, I, you know, thinking back, just like I never wanted to go to college. I went to college because it was the quote-unquote thing to do. And as a, as a doctor's daughter, Right. If I didn't go to college, it would have not been perceived well. And I always told my father, I'm like, the money you spent to have me go to college, I would have much rather you had just gifted me that money. Like, because I was a very bad student. The only classes I did well in, believe it or not, were like the sociologies, the psychologies. I'm a researcher and a digger, hence Mm -hmm. the industry that I'm in. I love to Mm -hmm. research. I love to dig. I love to write. And so, and there's so many people out there that don't have a formal education who are brilliant, who are successful, who have purposes, you know, in, in life. So, you know, again, I feel like this has been the theme of this broadcast, which I think is awesome. You go back to the whole obedience. I went to college because I did what I was told to do and I hated it and I never got good grades. I wasn't a partier. I just was like, I really don't want to be here. And I think it's, if if I would have done the things that the Lord put on my heart earlier in life, rather than being obedient, you know, where would my, how many more people could H2O Wellness have helped? How much more, you know, but it's all hindsight, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord takes you on a journey and in um, yeah, a no season. Of, <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. I mean, God put you through seasons for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't have any regrets because all those things that happened to get me to where I am now, 
are, are a good thing. You know, there, there's a reason why that everything lined up the way the way it did. You know, but I think it gets us to a place now where, as we are communicating with the world and people with the platforms that have been given to us, whether it's radio, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Rumble, whether it's BitChute, whether it's whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping and praying that it opens up people's mind to question authority, question what's going on in the world, not be a rebel, not be mean, not be disrespectful, but to start maybe taking some responsibility and taking some of um, the things for their health, for their family, for their way of life into their own hands before they start to bow down to, to entities that we should not be bowing down to. You know, the only one that all of us should be looking up to for answers is Jesus. That's it. You know, and I think if we do that, again, going back to um, CJ's Wellness Watch, the thing that we need to heal our bodies I'm going to say eight times out of ten. I'm going to be I'm going to be liberal here. Eight times out of ten, God has given us, and it's mm-hmm. just connecting with the resources to people who know more than we do. You know, it's interesting. I've talked to people in the you know, especially about God and creation, uh, and uh, I say I say, look at the world. You know, everything you need is here, from from steel to fire to wood to uh, all the herbs for medicine, all the foods, all the plants, all the animals. Everything's here. And, and you're telling me that's an accident? <laughs> are you crazy? Right. The, the odds are infinitesimal that everything that we need, you know, from the air to the carbon to, uh, you know, and, and we, we talk about this a lot on the show, uh, the carbon, um, you know, carbon dioxide. You know, carbon is essential. Mm-hmm. It's part of our, our life. We're a carbon-based life form. So these idiots that say that well, we've got to get carbon dioxide out of the air, I say, well, you might as well just kill all the plants now. You know, what, what, you know and I find it fascinating um, We've talked about this before. And one of our regular college Pianki's on the line, too. Pianki, if you want to get in, we've got about 15 minutes left with CJ, so feel free to, uh, to ask a question. Um, but we came to the conclusion that the Industrial Revolution came at a time when there was low carbon dioxide in the air. And it's interesting that oil, which we call organic fuel, I don't use the term fossil fuel because that's crazy. We don't get, we don't get fuel from dinosaur bones. Um, but the organic fuels, the petroleum, you know, releases carbon dioxide into the air at the very time when carbon dioxide was low. And puts it back in. So, our, and the earth, the earth is warming at a time when we need, you know, not much, not what the what the, the climate geeks are saying, but it's warming, which is actually more productive. I was reading a uh, question of uh, the CO2 coalition stuff earlier, the history of, of climate. And so, it's fascinating to me that the industrial revolution, the, the discovery of petroleum, the internal combustion engine, which operates very much like our bodies, because petroleum are, are hydrocarbons, and we work on carbohydrates. The only difference is oxygen. So, whereas an internal combustion engine you know, it takes oxygen, mixes it with hydrogen and carbon and the hydrocarbons, in other words, in petroleum, burns that through ignition. It's very similar to a human body, which takes carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen and burns that, you know, in calories. Okay. We're the same thing. Right. I mean, think about the parallels. But the idea that carbon yeah. dioxide is being released into the atmosphere at the very time when it's most needed because it was too low, you know, until the 1800s uh, because of, of mm-hmm. cooler periods earlier, um, that doesn't seem to be an accident either. You know, right. so, uh, you know, see, so you put all these, putting these things together, go, wait a minute, there's a lot more here that, that we don't understand. And you, and you think it's all, uh, oh, it's an accident. The carbon, the internal combustion engine is bad. What if the internal combustion engine saved our plant life? I mean, think about that. So people don't make right. the connections. They don't. And we, we try to, at least I try to, 
you know, on the show, think about things that nobody else has thought about. So on that note, let's, let's, we've got about uh, 13 or so minutes. Well, you got as much time. If you want to go a little extra, I've got a, a 45 minute interview. I want to play um, on there uh, on one of my WEBY classics, but nutrition, what is integrated nutrition as opposed to industrial nutrition, <laughs> you know, uh, college yeah. nutrition, you know, dietary certificated nutrition. What's uh, what, what's, what's your specialty and how did it come about? Well, Integrative nutrition, right, is exactly what it sounds like. It's integrative. So when I work with clients, it's mm-hmm. more than, okay, just I have people keep a daily log of what they're eating. I ask them what their goals are. I actually have health assessments that I send out to them. And then, like I said, I do offer them other services that I collaborate with as far as different testing, as far as hormone imbalance, as far as testing for fungal toxins, um, a minimal metabolic test, things, things like that. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. when we get the test results, it helps us address the issues, you know, at hand a whole lot better. But integrative means if somebody, like, is overweight and eating, we have conversations about, you know, the whole emotional part of it. Are you a stress eater? What, what are your triggers? You know, um, mm. really get to the heart of the matter. Or if you're only eating once a day. Why are you only eating once once a day? That's what's slowing down your metabolism. That's why even though you eat once a day, you're still what we call skinny fat. You know, I have several clients that I'm working what's with that mean? now. What's um, that? Why would you only eat once a day? Well, would the opposite problem exactly. be people eating like five times a day? Wouldn't that be the, the right. more norm of well, causing more problems? You know, again, we again we get into all that because you have to keep your your blood sugars and your metabolism up that's why sometimes a lot of people who are overweight they'll say well i don't know why i'm overweight i only eat a little bit well you have no metabolism but then you got to go back to checking sugars you got to go back to checking um the minerals their metabolic rate you've got to mm-hmm. check to see if there's any candida you know there's a lot of things that go into that picture so it's not just about me saying okay you should eat this, this, and this, or you need to drink this protein shake, or you need to take this supplement. There's a lot more involved in the psychological side of mm-hmm. integrativeness. What's causing the, these these behaviors? Or why have you been on this merry ground and this spinning wheel for so long? So it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more in-depth and involves journaling. So I'm very precise and very integrative with my clients. They're not just coming to me for a menu of what to eat. That's not what I do. And there's a whole lot more involved involved in that. Um, and it's that one-on-one accountability as well and that collaboration with my other colleagues that I work with to help my clients. So sometimes it's just me, but sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody and they'll say, okay, I recommend that myself and so-and-so collaborate with you to put together the best plan. And then I meet once a week with my clients. Like right now I have some, one of my clients is actually in St. Martin. And so we do a Zoom call. So some very Oh, you should go to St. Martin. My, St. Martin's beautiful. I know. You, you get, we, yeah, I want, I want to take Action Radio I to the it. island. So we're, we're going to, I'm planning trips already. We've got a cruise specialist. We've got uh, Alan, my friend tour guide in Belize. So we're, we're going to be, now that you're here, <laughs> you know, you got to come join us. You know, yeah. I, I, I intend to do some traveling that. as soon as we can, as soon as I can. So yeah. more listeners, yeah, more bills. More stuff, yeah. So, again, my services are, are a lot more than what's, what's, what's on the surface of it. It's a lot more involved. Um, most of my stuff is done via Zoom. The clients that I have locally, I do pantry makeovers. So I'll do that via Zoom. What's and, that? Uh, a lot of my clients. What's a pantry makeover? Um, 
we do virtuals where I'll see what's in your pantry or in your refrigerator, and you'll get really mad at me because you'll have a trash can <laughs> that'll make you throw half of your stuff away. You know. What, what, what are the common and things people are? What are the common things people throwing out? Like I got off weed a while uh, ago and, and tossed all my breakfast. Well, I still have them actually, but I got to toss them. Breakfast cereal, bread, things like that. It's a lot of condiments. You know, a lot hmm. of hidden things that you find, like in you know, in mayonnaise and salad dressings and. Even like commercial cheese or shredded cheese that actually has sand dust in it and things in it that keep it from sticking together. I mean, you would be amazed. Um, and, oh, I want to hear all about. Really I want to hear all those bad products. We're gonna have to. Well, over time, we got to get them all because salad dressing. Yeah. Now, I found a honey mustard dressing that has no uh, high fructose corn syrup or soybean oil in it, and it's it's one of the few. So that's the one I stick with. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. and people think, you know, and this includes me, and I'm, I'm, I'm really teaching my daughter right now who's 14, you know, buying alternative crunchy snacks. You know, when we look for stuff that's, say, cauliflower-based or cassava flour, you know, which is chickpea flour, um, uh-huh. things that are not made out of, out of corn, people, a lot of people, including myself, really enjoy snacking, you know, but you don't realize that how much stuff you should not be eating that seems like a healthy snack that has sunflower oil and canola oil which are highly mm-hmm. inflammatory. So people look at the product and, you know, again, the lesser of the evils, right? Even eating that stuff once in a while is not going to hurt you, but when we're consuming them, you know, consistently, that's where it becomes a problem. So when you look at healthy munchies, a lot of them have sunflower and canola oil in, and you should not be consuming them because it's just highly inflammatory. And so people don't know that, you know, when they're choosing you know, um, what's the one chip? There's lots of chips made out of cauliflower now these days, which is great. But you have to look but. at the oils in them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so my services, like I said, I do a lot of the psychology, a lot of journaling. It's a pretty, it, it's a pretty, you know, if you work with me, it's a pretty, it's a pretty in-depth depth process. We go much okay. deeper than that. Yeah. Well, I'll have to try this. I'll have to do the Zoom thing at some point, or I'll just have to come visit. Um, but this sounds fascinating. Yeah. But, you know, and, and the, it, a lot of times we'll go from the very ethereal, very, uh, you know, nebulous to something like, well, what's in your salad dressing? <laughs> That's kind of how the show goes. So it's, it, it's a, we are all over the place all the time, which makes it so much fun. Um, but if, if you can't have sunflower and canola oil uh, and you don't want soybean oil, you know, it doesn't leave you a lot of choices for your, for your salad dressing because salads are good for you. We always eat a salad, eat green. It's green. It must be good for you. And apparently, well, <laughs> not necessarily. It's not the salad. It's the dressing that's the problem. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just curious. Exactly. But there's so, so, many th- so many things. But it's a fascinating I love working with clients because you learn, learn so much. And there are times where I'll encounter something, hmm, never heard of that one before. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. um, but but it's, it, it's, it's a blessing to be able to help people. And I'm so grateful for our connection, you know. Um, I think it's, it's going to be great. And I hope that your listeners has, have taken something new away or have at least enjoyed, enjoyed listening to this segment of your show. Oh, I hope so too. Well, I know they have. <laughs> you know, in fact, Pianki just called back in. I think his line got got canceled somehow for a second there. Uh, Pianki, do you have a question for CJ? Anything on your mind? No, I listening, enjoying conversation. Okay, well, that sounds good. All right, so CJ is going to be back nine a.m. I think it's nine a.m. Uh, next Thursday for for a regular uh, CJ's wellness uh, wellness watch. And I'll tell you what's really interesting. 
Uh, I think this will be a, a, a big source of topics for us. Are these individual, uh, you know, folks that you're helping? No names, of course, obviously. Um, but uh, if, if you're able to talk about some of the things that people have, because generally if one person has it, a lot of other people do too. And so that's a way that folks exactly. can relate. You know, and so we have uh, we have another person. It's, it's interesting, uh, Dorothy Diana, who does our, our sex and sensuality report. Yes, we have one. <laughs> you know, talks about various people and, and issues and things like that. And that's Mondays. Uh, and it, it's interesting. Any of the folks that are involved in wellness, does it, even though you're different areas, uh, there's a very similar theme of breaking away from the established, of creating your own. Um, you know, therapies and things that work and sort of a lot of it's trial and error and a lot of uh, it's, it's, it's a learning experience all along the way. And I think in some ways you almost undercut yourself. I think you're more qualified than you think you are. <laughs> it's, both, it's the impression well, I, that I'm getting. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it very much. And just so you, you, um, your, your viewers know, like I said, if anybody wants to reach me, they can reach me on that email address, h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And futuristically, I, I will be working and we will be discussing you know, if anybody um, wants to reach out to me at any time, that if they choose my services, we will give them, you know, an action radio discount, and I oh, will cool. offer them testing testing as, as well. But any just general questions, you know, inquiring or having a first 15, 10, 15-minute conversation with me, there is no charge for that. I do that for everybody because, like I said, not everybody is a good fit, or we may have personality clashes. And so there have been a handful of people who reached out to me that I've said, what you have going on or just with the conversation and the demeanor where I've actually said, you know, I can recommend somebody to you, but I don't think we're the greatest fit. So I'm always Mm -hmm. open to conversations and helping people. And I'm very honest about it because the goal is, you know, the goal is to benefit you and get you the results and the help that you need. So if I'm not the right person, I can certainly connect you with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. The, The good news is people can reach us from anywhere in the world. We have the live chat, which people can just get an account at the bottom of our broadcast page and type in. We've had, I think Switzerland was the last one that came in internationally. Uh, we have a Skype line so people can call us on the Skype line from anywhere in the world. The, the disadvantage though is that most people still listen by podcast. And so they're not catching the live show. And a lot of that has to do with time zones. But I think a lot of it has to do with convenience too, because those folks that might be working now right. or, or doing different things, you know, in the mornings and after time for people, we still have most of our listeners on podcast. And so this is why the contact information is so important. But being a podcast, you know, if they miss it the first time, you don't, you don't have to repeat it and have people write down right that second. They can just replay it on the podcast because these shows all have timelines that they can uh, uh, replace and go. But I like, I'm curious though, what do you think of the idea of, of radio? Because it's just voice. There is no video. You mentioned our viewers uh, a couple of times. We don't have viewers here. I mean, I, I make videos and things like that. Do you notice I'm so or have used you to done? saying that, so I apologize. You know, I'm used to no, saying that. No, apologize. That, you know, but... <laughs> no, I, and that's not why I'm bringing it up. Your I'm listener, not, I'm not doing your, this to... list, your listeners. Yeah, yeah, I'm not doing this to correct you, but there, I'm, I'm curious, though, have you noticed in, in maybe interviews that you have done on radio, on, on audio, uh, as yeah, they say, yeah. versus versus video? Do you get a different response? Is it a different way of learning? I mean, I love the idea of, of radio because it goes right into your brain. You know, you have to use your exactly. imagination. You know, you know, are you wearing pajamas? Who knows? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> that was just funny earlier. You know, that I, you know, like I said, yeah. this, this, this red polka dot vision came to my brain. I don't know why, but it just did. Uh, um, <laughs> it is but, Valentine's Day month, so hey, you never know. <laughs> oh, so it's probably going to be hearts then. So you see a pajamas with hearts on them. That'd be, that'd be so sweet. Um, but there's a difference. Do you notice the difference? The last point, then I'll then uh, you know if you because I know you have to go soon. Um, but do you notice a difference in audio versus um, visual learning, or or just the experience of being on a show? 
Well, you know, for me, I'm going to speak for me. Here's a little bit more TMI. You want some more TMI? So Every time you can, I, feel free. <laughs> we all do it. <laughs> it's kind of that kind of show. We're like a big, we're like a small family that reaches a long way. So everybody, it's like everybody's around our, our dinner conversation. So yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, well, okay. So I'm human like everybody else. Right. And I have my own challenges and, um, I, because I do so many things, like I said, I'm a homeschool mom. I run several businesses. I have clients. I have a house full of puppies. You know, um, I'm blessed to be able to be at home and do what I do and have my little girl with me. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, the less distractions I have, the better. And that's why I have my barn doors on my office and no distractions in here. You know, so mm. there's pros and cons to both. I'm very much a people person and very much a face-to-face person. I enjoy mm-hmm. people interaction. Um, with radio, I have less distractions. If I am on a face-to-face, I love that. Like I said, there's pros and cons. But mm-hmm. it's easier to get distracted for me, you know, looking at that. Because a lot of times, as you know, with all the different things that I do, sometimes I have to have two and three different screens in front of me or I need to be watching comments, paying attention to the person that I'm talking to. And so without disrespecting my, the person I'm having a conversation with, I have to have eyes and ears in different places and different locations so I don't miss something. And so for me, from a focus standpoint, radio allows me to be a little bit more focused because it's a headset. There's no visual stimuli. There's nothing. Um, And so, um, you know, when I'm working with clients, it's very easy because it's a one-on-one. I'm not, you know, I'm talking to them directly. I don't have an audience. Clients are one-on-one on a Zoom call. And so there are no distractions. So I think there's pros and cons, you know, to both and definitely benefits um, to both as well. Interesting. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but we do have Direct Connect. So what I can do is send you an email uh, that will have your Direct Connect so you can connect directly to the show online if you have a microphone and a headset, which I know you do. So uh, we'll we'll talk about that out there. Yeah. So one more time, contact information, anything else you want to share at this point, and then uh, I'll talk to you Thursday. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll probably talk and connect before that. I really, really oh, yeah, enjoyed that. We'll talk that. off the air, and, too. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah. that's a given. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, of course, of course. But, no, if anybody wants to um, reach me, they can reach me at h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. Um, if I do not respond back promptly, I will check my spam. I have had, you know, emails go to, go to spam. Um, you may address me as CJ. That would be per- perfectly fine. Um, and like I said, moving forward and probably as of, as of next week, anybody that, you know, wants to consider my services or any of the resources that I have that I may be able to connect you to on a more personal, you know, level, um, we will definitely incorporate an action radio discount. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I am sure that um, I'll make will be having – that conversation. Yeah. yeah, I have a bunch of promos yeah. uh, that I'll be playing after after you, uh, and then you can listen to those and go, oh, well, that was interesting. So we have Great Care, we have uh, My Pillow, we have a couple of others. Yeah. They all have the same discount, WYL, which stands for Write Your Loss. So it's easy to, to yeah. get the Action Radio discount. So I appreciate that. So yeah, so feel free to put Action Radio on your website somewhere. <laughs> you know, Action yeah. Radio, Citizen Legislature. Yeah. So this is a, well, mm-hmm. like I say, we're all big, one big happy family. Thank you. This has been fun. Oh, I appreciate it. It has been. Yeah. And I hope everybody has a blessed day. And I am going to sign off because I've got 
um, a 10 o'clock call. But, um, Greg, I thank you for this opportunity. And I, we will be talking way before Thursday. And mm-hmm. I will look forward to tuning in, say, at 9 Central and 10 Eastern because I am in North Carolina. So okay. um, I will be excited to hear the feedback from your listeners and excited to talk with them again next week. Sounds good. Let's give her another cheer. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye, CJ. Take care. All right. So I'm going to check with Pianchi here before I uh, go to our commercial break, as they say, uh, and just, uh, you know, comments. What do you think? This, this is going to be fun. I love having new wellness people on. We've, we've, we've sort of had a lack of, uh, of wellness. We used to have, in fact, a lot of times we almost did too much because we had our world's greatest doctors panel all of Thursday. Uh, was on COVID crimes and everything else. And then uh, Wednesdays when we had Chancey, uh, Lindsay, and Paige and some other folks that would join us. Uh, it was pretty, it was very interesting times, you know, and there's so much out there that's, uh, that's not what we call traditional, you know, or in other words, chemical, oil-based chemical medicine. It's just nice to have the alternatives uh, because that's what medicine used to be, you know, tailor, tailored to the person. You know, your doctor was a consultant. You know, what are you doing? What's in your life? What's going on? You're miserable? Wow. You got, you got stress? Feel like like a Jewish deli. What do you get? What do you got? You got too much stress. You got problems. You got to go on, sit down. Tell me all about it. Okay, we're gonna have a good time. Okay, bye. I should have been a rabbi. Of course, yeah. Anyway, I have to be Jewish first, but that's okay. A little complication. Pianki, what do you think? Let's see if I can drag you back to the show here for a minute. Sounds pretty good. If I can understand what you're saying. Who? Her or me? <laughs> oh, yeah. my 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 rabbi impression. Yeah. Okay. That's that's my Brooklyn rabbi. You know, I have I have many characters I bring out depending on the situation. Maybe a good book, Borson. He didn't look around the room. Like if I got a rabbi, I haven't been a rabbi for like that. You got You know, we need a rabbi for the show. That's that's something I should add to. I've been trying to do that. You know, um, this is such a Christian area, but uh, you know, we need a rabbi. We need different people. Um, you know, just to just come in and, and make the show interesting. All the people out there that can help. You know, I want to do a chiropractor show. You know, there's just so many. Uh, uh, different things we can do. Okay. Well, so if you have a comment on, on, on CG, that's cool. Let me know. Um, otherwise, I'll take a break and we'll come back with some more stuff. More news, more news of the day, and then I have an interview. Well, I actually probably should start my, my interview because it takes, it takes a while to play that one, but it's a really good one. Pianchi, any, any comments before I go to break? Anything on your mind? No, I don't have any. Let's move okay. forward. All right, so so mute yourself. I'll be back in a few minutes. And uh, it seems that we only get to take like one break a show because I have so many interesting people these days. And I don't like to interrupt them. You know, I like the continuity of being able to do an hour with somebody. This is an actual hour, and it's not with a news break and five commercial interruptions. Be back in a bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay. 
How about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio Live. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. 
We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. See all the fun we have here? <laughs> you never know what's going to happen because I never know what's going to happen. That's what makes it interesting for me. I don't do well in a predictable environment. I much rather uh, keep things spontaneous. And so uh, it's, it's interesting um, to have new folks on. And everybody, I know it's sort of a pattern. Um, disclaimers, you know, I don't know if I can say this. And I think that's natural. I probably do that with other people's shows too. I don't know if I can say this, but, and the answer is yes, you can, as long as you're not, you know, I don't like a lot of swearing on the show and things like that. And obviously CJ didn't do that. But I'm just saying that uh, this is a place where you can talk freely, where we do get more controversial, where I don't mind taking on, on, on some of the tougher issues um, because you got to talk about it somewhere. And you might as well do it here. I mean, some of the things we do in legislation are very controversial um, for, the, for the powers to be. I don't think they're controversial for regular people who say, well, that makes sense. But you talk about vaccine product liability, and we've, we've got an entire Congress that can't touch that because they're going to lose all their money. It's controversial for them. It's not controversial for us. We think it just makes sense. You know, in other words, I, I use the example that my, my local donut shop, uh, which I actually don't go to a lot because, you know, I'm trying to get more nutritious stuff. But um, they're really good, though. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. Um, anyway, but the point is that uh, that local businesses, you know, local mechanics, local, uh, uh, you know, your local widget shop, your local manufacturer of whatever uh, has far more liability, has, has infinitely more liability than Big Pharma, which has no liability. And so that's something that needs to be addressed. I don't see that as controversial. Because it's, it's, a, it's actually a constitutional issue. Equal protection of the laws. You cannot grant liability immunity to one industry uh, and, and put it on all the others. I didn't think about that until just now, but that's actually a 14th Amendment violation. So the Congress is violating that act could be challenged on constitutional grounds. I'm going to talk to mostly about that Monday. Um, so product liability, so I'm kind of pharma. You know, this is, literally, this is how things happen on the show. The ideas just come to me. Pharma product liability... Product liability, L-I-A-B. I'm writing down liability uh, versus 14th Amendment. This is an interesting question. I'll, I'll, see, I'll give it to Mosley like today so he can ponder it all weekend. 14th Amendment, equal protection. So the equal protection of laws means you cannot grant favors to one without granting favors to everybody you know, in, in the same way. Equal protection. Like the draft is, is unconstitutional simply because there are only... You know, doing selective service for men. Well, that discriminates against men. <laughs> you know, why, why shouldn't women have to register for the draft? I mean, if you, if you believe in equality, I mean, that's the way it goes, right? Now, does that mean women have to serve in combat? No. <laughs> it just means that women have to be drafted for, for service in the military because 90% of the military is not in combat. So that wouldn't be a hard requirement to, to fulfill. Anyway, speaking of combat, um, one of the, my favorite folks on the show who I'd love to get back on, uh, although he keeps getting more famous with every appearance on, uh, uh, you know, it used to be Tucker Carlson um, on Fox News and now One American News, is Colonel Doug McGregor, who I happened to meet through a friend of mine who was a friend of his, and that's how I got on the show back at WBY. But uh, he is the strongest critic of what's going on in Ukraine, and hopefully he'll be Secretary of Defense. Anyway, so he wrote an article in The American Conservative uh, called This Time is Different. Neither we nor our allies are prepared to fight all-out war with Russia regionally or globally. Yeah, there's nothing more insane than what's going on right now. So if, uh, you know, if people knew that uh, 
even not voting for Brandon or, or just or not uh, not challenging the election was going to get you a, a third world war where all your kids were you know dead of radiation you know somewhere down the line. Um, you might object to it a little strongly, or or all those folks that haven't challenged the election or haven't looked at the evidence, the mountains of evidence, you know, and think that Brandon is allowed to do this. He isn't. You know, so so we've got an illegal administration that might get into us into an illegal war. That's how bad this is. You know, that anyway, so he wrote this January 26th. So it's just uh, about a week or two weeks ago. He says, until it decided to confront Moscow with an ex, uh, existential military threat uh, in Ukraine, Washington confined the use of American military power to conflicts that Americans could afford to lose. Let me write that again. So it's kind of interesting. Until it decided to confront Moscow, it being the government. I was wondering what he meant at first. Until it, the government, decided to confront Moscow with an existential uh, military threat in Ukraine, wanting to confine the use of mil- American military power to conflicts that Americans could afford to lose. Wars with weak opponents in the developing world from Saigon to Baghdad that did not present an existential threat to U.S. forces or American territory. This time, a proxy war with Russia is different. You know, I remember thinking the same thing myself. I said, after World War II, World War II was the last great war with great powers. You know, I mean, Korea. Korea was not a great power. I mean, they were, of course, they were um, funded and, and armed by China and Russia. That's who were, that, was, that was a proxy war. So, so we were fighting China and Russia in using North Korea as the battleground or using Korea as the battleground. That's a proxy war. You're fighting a war against an opponent you know, using somebody else's country by proxy. That's how it works. War with Russia, that's a whole different thing. And I was just watching Putin this morning. You know, talking about, uh, you know, the, the Nazi tanks. You know, you got those tanks with that same World War II Iron Cross. And I said before, and a lot of other folks have said, that is not a good optic. It's just not. To have German leopard tanks, you know, that same Iron Cross, that Nazi, well, it's, not, it's a German military symbol. But, I mean, the, the, the Nazis also used it, too, you know, as well as the swastika and everything else. You're not going to see the swastika anymore for obvious reasons. I think it's banned in Germany, and, and rightly so. Um, but uh, the, 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 the symbol, the German military symbol, hasn't changed, <laughs> you know, uh, since probably, you know, Bismarck in the 1800s, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, Pianchi, is that you? Do well, you have a point there? Go ahead. Yeah, it's a point. They don't like the Confederate flag. You can well, not say they. You say the liberals and the blacks don't like to see the Confederate flag. But how do you think Russia feels when she sees that symbol? Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I pointed out. Did you see my video on the Russian tank? I mean, the German tank? I put it on my Facebook page. I put it in a couple of other places, too. The German leopard tank. Look it up. I mean, it's a great tank. There's nothing wrong with it. But the fact that it has that big iron cross, it's not that big. It's big enough. <laughs> you, know, the, the, you start putting iron cross, you know, the same symbol that uh, invaded Russia. This is the 80th anniversary of, uh, of the uh, victory in Stalingrad. Don't think you that's have not symbolic. a bunch of dumb dumb. Yeah, dumbasses today, <laughs> and that's just the way they are. They're just dumbasses. Yeah, I was looking at uh, a, a little rally, an activist rally in Memphis, uh-huh. where they said that uh, they talked to the mayor and got her to uh, agree to disband the Scorpion units. Okay, mm-hmm. where the Scorpion units were put in place for a certain reason to fight a particular crime in particular areas. Mm-hmm. And it was doing good. It wasn't the unit. It was the people. It's the same thing you see when folks talk about getting rid of guns. It's not the guns. It's the people. Mm-hmm. But these folks are ignorant. Greg, I don't know what to tell you. It just <laughs> well, irks me. 
knee, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. It's like they, 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 it's a reflex. You know, they say, well, because one team was bad, we have to get rid of all teams. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's like killing people to save them from disease. Well, they won't catch a cold then. You know, they're, they're, you know <laughs> it, it, it's, it's bizarre, but it's optics. It's, um, you know, it's what, uh, you know, um, I find your, your parallel to Confederate flag fascinating. Now, when the Confederate flags came down, you know, in various state capitals, I bought a few Confederate flags just because I want to preserve the symbol. So I'll, I have a few just in case, <laughs> you know, because I want you know, and I have a, actually I have in my room a Confederate flag, you know, under a 13 star uh, Betsy Ross flag. You know, I call it yin and yang. It's American yin and yang, you know, and so it's, it's fascinating. I'm looking at them right now. We don't like um, the uh-huh. old Dixie. You know what Dixie stand for? No. It stands for the Confederate dollars. Oh, okay. that's what it stands for. It was called Dixie. Yeah. Huh. That makes sense. I mean, the money is a big part of what the Civil War was all about. It was about secession. It was about yeah, money. It was about it was, taxes. It was about industry. It was about um, northern power, you know, blockading southern you know, economies, a bunch of things. And it was about slavery. But people don't realize left that. this as something else. I was at a meeting last night. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I hear that Louisiana mm-hmm. has a surplus in its budget, a surplus over its budget over $900 million. Mm, good. But projections say the next two years they're going to have deficits that's going to get up to about $800 million. Okay. I guess they can't stand a surplus. Got a huh? They've got to spend government. that money. <laughs> they, can't, they can't stand a surplus? The Democratic the government wants to spend the money rather than – putting the money in a separate interest-bearing account to use it to pay for the shortfalls the year after. Hmm. You know, I had a thought that what if, what, what if we had a rogue general that painted a bunch of Confederate flags on the Abrams tanks that are going to Ukraine? Wouldn't that be hysterical? Well, it would be, I don't have a, well, you know, many units, uh, had Confederate flags when they were fighting in Vietnam, I think it was. Yeah, Vietnam. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, something is this Confederate flag. Yeah. See, people. If it's that common, call then do it. Well, the, the, that is a battle flag. It's not. It's not the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag was actually different. And uh, we can we can uh, uh, do my flag research. But the the battle flag was the you know the stars and bars, you know that uh, that flag. Um, that everybody knows they think of as the Confederate flag. But what's interesting is that up in, it was only up until a few years ago that every Leonard Skinner concert had a huge Confederate flag as a backdrop. <laughs> you know, in fact, I got a video. You look at one of the original recordings of Freebird, first live recordings of it. Uh, they did a, a concert in Oakland, Oakland, California. And be- behind the band is this like 30 foot, 50 foot, whatever Confederate flag. Everybody's cheering. Crowd's going nuts. So there's a time that we recognize, yes, we had a civil war. Yes, we had slavery. We settled that question, you know, in 1864 and moved on. And so the, so the Confederate flag became a point of Southern pride until it became a symbol of racism, you know, for everybody. And now you can't fly it anymore. So I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, I still see Confederate flags around here, you know. Can I you imagine what all we miss if we hadn't been for slavery? Say that again? Can you imagine what all we would have missed if it hadn't been for slavery? Like, for instance, you got my curiosity. Well, for instance, in the war, you wouldn't have had a 761st tank battalion that fought with Patton's 3rd Army that went oh, to that? Omaha Beach, into France, into 
Baskinol, Bastone, Bastone. Yeah, yeah, that was General. Uh, I forgot the general's name, but he, he was the one that said Patton. when they said the the no it wasn't well, it wasn't Pat it was under it was General Under Patton uh, when the Germans said you know are you going to surrender and he said nuts you know basically means go to hell no <laughs> ain't going to happen. Oh well, yeah, and that's what they asked him where he said what does nuts mean? It means you go to hell. Yeah, I think that was General Lear. I'm not sure. No, it was McNulty or McSomething. I've forgotten his name, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. Well, and so if you had battle units, you know, in the military, uh, flying, uh, using the Confederate flag or the the battle flag um, in their units, and that was perfectly acceptable, you know, I'm sure that happened in all kinds of wars. I'm sure World War II did the same thing. You know, I'm sure there's squadrons that paint Confederate flags on their airplanes and on their tanks and everything else. Do they do that now? No. Because <laughs> they're, they're. If it they're hadn't all, been for all... Jim Crow, you wouldn't have had Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And well, I mean, try to, try to imagine. Uh, well, here's another exercise. Let's try and imagine America uh, without black Americans. This would be a completely different country. It'd be a lot more boring. You know, we wouldn't have a lot of the things we have now: art, culture, sports, Absolutely. entertainment, comedians, and everything else. You know, architects, scientists, doctors, lawyers, the whole bit. Um, so all these people that so uh, racism that he experienced, the, the yeah. segregation uh, he experienced, if he hadn't experienced it. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have went to baseball because he got in trouble because uh, the bus incident there in uh, in Texas, mm-hmm. Temple, Texas, where he refused to go to the back of the bus. He was sitting next to a light-skinned white woman they thought was white. She was passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry, a light-skinned black woman who they the driver thought was white. And he was talking to her, and the driver told him to go to the back. He said, nope. And one thing led to the other, to a court-martial, and that kept him from going on to the EOT, uh, the European Operation Theater, which included Omaha Beach. He might have got killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, the things that, you know, when they talk about white supremacy. Well, let's ask an alleged, you know, or ask people, you know, that that accuse others of white supremacy, what this nation would look like. if we had no black people, what would this nation look like with no American Indians? What would this nation look like with no gay people? This would be a very different country. I don't think people realize when they start throwing these terms around and throwing these group, uh, this group think, you know, stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, the, the, but the real white supremacists are the ones that would take out everybody who's not white. And the only way you can do that is with totalitarian government power. And the only way you get totalitarian government power is with a leftist government. So all white supremacists are, by definition, leftists. So you can't accuse a conservative of being a white supremacist because, by definition, they, they, they want the government so limited they couldn't exercise the supremacy anyway. <laughs> it's kind of unless it's just in your head. Well, you know, and people might have the attitude. So bad with white blacks uh-huh. name their kids after whites. Jackie's name was uh, Jackie Roosevelt. He was named after Roosevelt. Joe Lewis mm-hmm. was named after. Uh, it Lewis. wasn't Joe Lewis. It was another guy <clears throat> that was who, who mm-hmm. was a. Orderly for the war secretary, his name mm-hmm. was Gibson. His middle name was Truman. He was named after Truman. Okay. So a lot well, of soldiers. How many how many how many black kids are, are named for Washington, Jefferson? You know, uh, I don't know. Franklin, maybe I'm not sure. Jackson. You know, I mean, there's a ton of. Uh, but how many American? You know, white kids are, are. You know, I mean, how many very kid is named after famous people? I'm sure it happens all the time. Um, it's, it's you don't have any white know. people so they say name after Washington. I don't know why. But huh, uh, that is interesting. Yeah. You know, Booker T. Washington, Washington Carver. You know, uh, 
You may be naming uh, someone who initiated the slave mm. trade. So, yeah. It'd be interesting yeah, well, what if about, you have an African uh, name after an African slave uh, slave trader. <laughs> you get black African slave trader. Yeah, what, that would be funny. What about yeah. the AG in New York in her deposition of Trump back in August? I thought that she had I thought that she had ironclad evidence that he was guilty of these things. So why would you do a deposition unless you're trying to get him to entrap himself in what he's saying, answering the questions and talking to it, which he yeah. refused to do by pleading the what, the fifth? Well, remember, the biggest underestimation of all the enemies of Trump is that they didn't realize he was an honest guy. They're trying to – there's a movie, Danny Kaye, that was in years and years ago. You know about the you know searching for the the, the the only honest man in these old societies, ancient societies, or you know hundreds of year old European places. And this old old actor I forgot who it was. Says, "Oh, I found a, I found an honest man. You know, life is happy. I can find one." It was Danny Kaye. Um, but uh, they, what they don't realize is that Trump is an honest man. Yeah, yeah, he's a business guy. I'm I'm, I'm not saying everything he's done has been absolutely scrupulously honest. But basically, he's an honest guy. He's not taking you know the bribes and corruption like Biden is. You know, he's not doing all the crazy things that Nancy Pelosi's done with the insider trading. He's not doing any of the things that most politicians do. And so, because of that, because they're dishonest, they assume he's dishonest in the same ways, and he's not. So they keep going after him, and they keep running into a brick wall because they actually met a guy that uh, you know doesn't do the things that they do. And that includes the attorney generals and the uh, uh, the district attorneys and the governors and, and, the, and all these people, state attorney generals, federal one. They keep going after Trump, but they keep running into a brick wall because basically he hasn't done what they want to accuse him of. And it's driving him crazy. It's fascinating. Anyway, I want to get back to this article. I'm going to save my interview for another time because we're, we're done in half an hour and that's fine with me because uh, it's Friday. But um, let me get back to this article here. I want to talk a little more Ukraine. I got this image in my head of Abrams tanks, not with Stacey Abrams. Although <laughs> that was funny. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I need to get a meme maker. I want to put an Abrams tank with a big Confederate flag on the side of it and go, here you go. You, you got these ones, you know. Uh, what's his name? Lobachevsky. Who's the guy in Ukraine? Lewinsky? No, you, know that, that was, you know in World War II, uh-huh. when uh, the 761st, which is another black Tank battalion. You had the 761st, 758, mm-hmm. and uh, 684th, I think it was. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but the 761st was the thing. And after they went to Bascon and they proceeded on to meet up with the Russians, quote, uh-huh. Ukrainians. Ukrainians, yeah, exactly, yeah. Ain't that something else? Yeah, I imagine what I'm curious what your Ukrainian and Russian soldiers thought when they saw black American soldiers. I'm just curious. Yeah. No, I'm talking about compared to now. Oh, okay. And why do you have such a disdain for Russia? Russia was your ally in World War II. Well, Matter of fact, but, without Russia, you would have had a difficult time defeating Germany. Germany was something else. Oh, yeah. At that time. They well, that was the war. That was the real war. The, the Western Front was bad, but the Eastern Front was atrocious. You know, most of the people that were killed in, in the land battle in Europe were on the Eastern Front, not the Western Front. People don't understand that. I mean, uh, how many German soldiers flo- froze to death? You know, how many, uh, you know, the cities that were devastated, uh, uh, Leningrad, Stalingrad, I think Moscow was spared a lot of it, but Leningrad and Stalingrad were under siege for like a couple of years. People forget all this stuff. You know, it's it's a very different. Well, uh, I tell you what, situation. Hitler had uh-huh. the 
comprise a heck of a, a army. Yeah, but he's stuck uh, in the Navy, which is good. The United States, <laughs> yeah. If it hadn't Funny. been for the United States coming involved, Britain and France would never have a war. Yeah, but if it, if it hadn't been for the United States in World War One, there probably wouldn't have been a World War Two. I mean, the whole reason for World War II was that Germany got so screwed over because the United States entered World War I. And I would argue that if Britain, France, and Germany had stalemated on the Western Front, killed millions of their own people for stupid reasons or no reason whatsoever, they eventually would have run out of young men and they would have had to stop. But we come in, you know, tip the scales in favor of the Allies, destroy Germany. They get humiliated. They get reparations they can't possibly pay back. Hitler rises to power on the pride of Germany. And uses World War One to start World War Two, so I'd argue that uh, have we have Woodrow Wilson, who screwed us up on every possible way you can think of, or his wife when he had a stroke, who totally devastated this country with constitutional amendments, the Federal Reserve Act, uh, and World War One that never should have happened. We should stay out of World War One, except for a really good Navy to block the U-boats from our shipping. That would have been a good thing to do, but to go well, in the land war and send troops to Europe, well, never should have sent troops to Europe. Yeah, wasn't this all well and and taking down King Charles mm-hmm. and the war that they had, the civil war between Ireland, Scotland, and Britain, mm-hmm. it may have not been American, neither. That's interesting, too. I didn't think about that. Yeah, good point. Let me back to this article here. And uh, the point that we used to fight, you know, wars against opponents that didn't count. Or it was, how do you put, that's probably not how he said it. He says, until it decided to confront Moscow with an existential military threat in Ukraine, Washington could find the use of American military power to conflicts that Americans could afford to lose. There we go. Wars with weak opponents in the developing world from Saigon to Baghdad that did not present an existential threat to U.S. forces or American territory. This time, a proxy war with Russia is different. He says, contrary to early Beltway hopes and expectations, Russia neither collapsed internally nor capitulated to the collective West's demands for regime change in Moscow. Duh. Washington underestimated Russia's societal cohesion, its latent military potential, and its relative immunity to Western economic sanctions. As a result, Washington's proxy war against Russia is failing. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was unusually candid about the situation in Ukraine when he told the Allies in Germany at Rammstein Air Base on January 20th, we have a window of opportunity here between now and the spring, admitting that's not a long time. Alexei Arestovich, President Zelensky's recently fired advisor and unofficial spinmeister, was more direct. He expressed his own doubts that Ukraine can win its war with Russia, and he now questions whether Ukraine will even survive the war. Ukrainian losses, at least 150,000 dead, I would argue for no reason, they never had to fight this war, including 35,000 missing in action and presumed dead, have fatally weakened Ukrainian forces, resulting in a fragile Ukrainian defensive posture that will likely shatter under the crushing weight of attacking Russian forces in the next few weeks. So this is only written, like I say, a couple of weeks ago. So we're, we're there. We're at that point. He says, this is Doug McGregor. He says, Ukraine's material losses are equally severe. These include thousands of tanks and armored infantry fighting vehicles, artillery systems, and defense platforms, and weapons of all calibers. So you don't see this on the news. You know, anytime you see the news, the Russian atrocities. But what you don't see are all the, the, the casualties of the soldiers. You don't see the tanks have been blown up. You don't see the artillery pieces have been blown up. You don't see all the things that Russia has done in this war that they probably would have done if they had a peace deal right at the beginning, which they should have done a year ago. 
In fact, Dr. Peter told us about that. He said, remember, Priyanka, do you remember Dr. Price's six points? He said, six points that Putin wanted. Uh, and it, we, we could have negotiated, we could have talked, maybe those wouldn't have all been acceptable. But the biggest one was, uh, don't let Ukraine go into NATO, or don't have Ukraine go into NATO, and stop expanding NATO, keep NATO back where it was supposed to be, you know, on the other side of the Warsaw Pact countries. Don't expand NATO, and we're cool. You know, I and think would Ukraine taken, agreed to them, too. Uh, Ukraine agreed to not going into NATO, or, or they wanted to be yeah. in NATO? No, I think they agreed not to go. So that was fine then. You know, in fact, there was a deal originally that if Ukraine gave up their, their nukes, which I thought was stupid also, even though they're Russian nukes, um, that uh, we would defend them. That was a dumb deal. We should have let, should have let Ukraine keep their nukes, nukes and let Ukraine and Russia work that out because they're a Russian nuke. They were just it stationed in the war that if, you, if we get rid of this prosecutor that's investigating Hunter, you give us a billion dollars, but wait a minute. We need more. Mm-hmm. We need a see, war against Russia. We need for you to fund us. Yeah. So they always, see, there's always a foreign war. That's, that's part of uh, George Orwell. We always have to be at war with somebody. The permanent war class, as I call them. There's a group of people in Washington, uh, bankers, military, uh, industrial companies, and politicians that all benefit from war. And that's and then, the reason to fight a war. Uh-huh. That, then, wait a minute. Then the arms supply, so wait a minute. We've been providing Hunter with weapons for the uh, for whatever. Mm-hmm. So we want in on this too. So you're going to have to give. You uh, you're going to say that the money we give and the aid we give it to the Ukraine, they have to buy American weapons, mm-hmm. so we can get the money too. Yep. Everybody's going to say, "Oh, out. wait a minute! Yeah. If we do that, we want you to donate to our political causes mm-hmm. during election time." Interesting. Yeah, it's like crime doesn't pay, but war does. <laughs> war crimes yes. pay even more. Yeah, interesting. Let me, let, me, let me give a little bit more of this article. This is kind of good chat. So actually, I'm kind of glad not to do that other interview. I'll save it for maybe next Thursday um, but, or maybe Friday. Who knows? I'll, I'll just keep it in the bank for, for another time when I uh, have a spare hour. So Colonel Doug McGregor says, Ukraine's material losses are equally severe. These include thousands of tanks and armored infantry, fighting vehicles. Okay, I read that. These totals include the equivalent of seven years of Javelin missile production. This is what you're getting to, right? Seven years of Javelin missile production in a setting where Russian artillery systems can fire nearly 60,000 rounds of all types, rockets, missiles, drones, and hard shell ammunition a day. Hear that, folks? 60,000 rounds of all types of munitions a day. Ukrainian forces are hard-pressed to answer these Russian salvos with 6,000 rounds. So they have one-tenth of the amount of ammunition they can fire back at Russia. You can't win when your enemy has 90%, you know, you only have 10% of the ammo the enemy has. The enemy has 90% more, you know, uh, nine times your ammunition or 10 times your ammunition. That's a better way to express it. They get 10 times the ammo, Russians do, per day, firing on Ukraine. Well, if, you, if you're only firing, you know, if your army's only firing one in 10 bullets and the enemy's firing 10 at you, you're firing one back, you're not going to win. You're just, unless you're incredibly tactically proficient. In the open plains of Ukraine, there's nowhere to hide. So no, they're going to lose. We always knew they were going to lose. We knew they were going to lose before the war began because Russia's not going to lose a war with Ukraine. That would be stupid. That'd be like us losing a war to Cuba. Ain't going to happen. Back to the article. 
Ukrainian forces are hard-pressed to answer these Russian salvos with 6,000 rounds daily. New platform and ammunition packages for Ukraine may enrich the Washington community, but they cannot change these conditions. So in other words, you can't win this war by spending money on it. You're not going to. There's not enough money in the world to, for Ukraine to defeat Russia because Russia is simply not going to let it happen. So the only logical outcome is to go for peace. You know, who cares about Ukraine being in NATO? I don't. I don't care about any Eastern European country being in NATO. I don't even care if we get out of NATO. In fact, that would be the, the obvious outcome. So, okay, great. We get out of NATO, and then now it's a European problem. Let them deal with it. Let Germany, France, and Russia, uh, I mean, Germany, France, and uh, Spain, and the, the larger countries there, Poland, you know, let those, Romania, Hungary, you guys deal with this. Ukraine, you deal with it. Russia's on your border, not ours. That's how I'd handle it. Then it says, uh, McGregor says, predictably, Washington's frustration with the collective West's failure to stem the tide of Ukrainian defeat is growing. In fact, the frustration is rapidly giving way to desperation. Gee, sounds a lot like Vietnam, doesn't it? Then we have this one here. Michael Rubin, a former Bush appointee and avid supporter of America's permanent conflicts. Remember the permanent war class? See, this language is catching on, right? Permanent conflicts in the Middle East and Afghanistan vented his frustration in a 1945 article asserting that if the world allows Russia to remain a unitary state and if it allows Putinism, how come it's a 1945 article? That's, there's there's got to be something wrong with that, uh, that timeline. That doesn't make sense. Well, because Putin wasn't around then. I think it's a misprint. I'll just say the quote. If the world allows Russia to remain a unitary state, and if it allows Putin, Putinism to survive Putin, then Ukraine should be allowed to maintain its own nuclear deterrence, whether it joins NATO or not. So that's probably 1995. I bet you that's supposed to be 1995, because that would have been about the, about the right time when uh, Ukraine was giving up the nuclear weapons in exchange for joining NATO, basically, which was a stupid idea. Stupid then, stupid now. Then it says, uh, on its face, the suggestion suggestion is reckless, but the statement does accurately reflect the anxiety in Washington circles that Ukrainian defeat is inevitable. See, they always knew they were going to lose. All right, so so Pianki, here's the crazy part. Anybody who knows anything about Russia and Ukraine knows that Ukraine cannot win a war against Russia. So the idea of going to war in Ukraine against Russia, you know, even with all the weapons that we could put in there, the outcome is going to be the same. Ukraine's going to lose. So what kind of idiot, what kind of insane wacko would build up expectations that we can win a war that we know we can't win and put billions of dollars in unless the spending of billions of dollars, regardless of the loss of life, was the goal all along? That's my contention. This war was never about winning. It was about spending no, it's money. Not. It's about laundering money. Laundering, yeah, laundering. money. That's uh-huh. the whole idea because people want to get into U.S. Congress. Don't give a daggone about the issues that sent them there. You either, if you fail at being able to get in on the cash cow, then you will get the pension. It's a, it's a win-win situation. Except uh-huh. for one is just greater. Yeah. Yeah, so the object here is to launder money, spend money, and perpetuate the war. Because as long as there's a war the people that are invested in the war are going to make money. And that, the loss of life is irrelevant to these people. They don't care. And that's the problem. See, I do care. I do care that, that, you know, that, uh, that Ukrainians and, and Americans and anybody else might lose lives, mostly Ukrainians. Um, but I also care that we're spending billions of dollars for no reason in a war that can't be won. That, to me, is irrational. And I don't right, like doing Andy? irrational things. Hmm? And who's going to pay for that? Well, taxpayers. Well, what here's taxpayers? the problem, though. It's going to create inflation because as they borrow money 
to fund this Ukraine war and print more money? The, 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 yeah, the, but who's going to rebuild inflation the, tax? the infrastructure? Mm-hmm. Who's going to be rebuild? Who's going to pay for the rebuilding of the infrastructure in Ukraine? Good I don't question. Know. Well, this, they're probably going to, you know, Brandon's probably going to have a Marshall Plan. They probably got a Marshall Plan ready to go, the Ukraine Redevelopment Plan or the Ukraine Restoration Plan. The URP. I the who in the heck's going to pay for it? I don't understand Americans sometimes. They are just—I <laughs> don't understand America. How in the heck can you spend so much money? Then they're gonna come and ask you to pay for the infrastructure that was tore up. When look at your American cities, look at your urban areas, mm-hmm. look at the crime in those areas. I just found out that last week in St. Louis they stole 149 cars. Wow. Well, crime pays. You've got George Soros DAs. You've got anarchy. This country is, is running on anarchy right now. I would not want to be in a major city. I'm glad that I live where I live in Florida. You know, most people here are pretty peaceful, pretty honorable. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't leave my doors unlocked, you know, but I probably could if I wanted to, you know, most of the time. Um, but for the most part, no, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty peaceful area here. Although we've had 13 year old carjacking in St. Louis, 13 year old black kids wow. is carjacking. Uh-huh. And why come yeah. people don't like to see it like it is, Greg? You know the face of crime in the United States is called this is the black male, which makes up about six percent of the population. It ain't all of them, but all of them seemingly get uh, blamed because they dress alike. Hmm. Well, I'd say it's it's more black young folks. This is an awful lot of women that are that are ripping off those stores. There's an awful lot of women that are are, are looting. You know, you look at the video. Yeah, it is. You know, so I think it's an age. I think it's a, it's a young black urban population that is, co- that is committing, you know, a disproportionate amount of these crimes, hugely disproportionate. Any of the videos I've seen of people going storming in stores is invariably young black people. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't single out black men at all. I think there's just as many women um, that are doing this. Well, black women do get in your heart. Females well, do get in your crime. I'm sure there are more black men who are, who are carjacking and more black men, women who are raiding stores. When it talks about the uh, assaults, uh-huh. the robberies, the murders, and what assault gets shot is an assault. It's the uh-huh. black male. And uh, you listen, you see the Biden administration, they send Harris to a funeral uh-huh. in uh, Memphis, which is, you know, I can understand. But man, yeah, you got over 4,000 you could go to in mm-hmm. Chicago, I mean, just get a whole wardrobe mm-hmm. for it. it just we need to talk about we need both. to talk about why this is. I mean, because I think black males are targeted to become criminals from the neighborhood, from the schools, from the government policies, from the way the money is spent, to the lack of of corporations and businesses and jobs and opportunities and everything else. Young black men are singled out and are directed by the government into a life of crime as the best option. And that's what we need to change. And then the poor, the uh-huh. poor are black, the elderly, they suffer. So like in Memphis where they have the big celebration, the activists, because they, dis, uh, under, they disassembled the Scorpion units, I think it was three. question mm-hmm. is, why do you have to have three of those? Well, because of the crime. Okay. Yeah. Now that they disassembled, there's no one, and they were very successful in anything that they've done. But yeah. now that they've disassembled with a crime, the criminals are going to still continue to act out. Who suffered from that? 
Well, it's the mm. elderly blacks that can't go nowhere. They left. Yeah. No, I understand. Um, this is crazy. But Nobody says should, anything. I wanna, they don't I wanna, give a damn. I'm, I'm going to look into – no, they don't. So but I want to look into why this crazy. is. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it's the same thing that you see going on in Ukraine. You got uh, cash. The cash cow is being expended in the Ukraine just like it is in these areas. The crime is is being made on somebody's behalf. If mm-hmm. it's settlements on somebody's behalf, the education. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you put more money in a school district, not only and they say that the teachers getting paid, the raise teachers pay, guess who else gets paid? The administrators who's already uh sitting and heading over a failed system. And they're making all kinds of good money at administrative levels. Hmm. If much more money goes to the teacher, it automatically money goes to the administration. The administration well, is the big politics. That's the big politics. The administrators get paid big time, then they turn around and donate to some of these lackey politicians that's in these urban areas that's not doing anything. It's a racket. Well, it's definitely a racket, and you can't audit because that would be called racist. And people are so worried about the racist label that they won't do what they're supposed to do and find out where the money's going. It's quite fascinating. You know, the, the, it's amazing what you can get it away with when you call somebody else a racist. Merlin the magician couldn't have put on a better show. Uh-huh, yeah. So you hear that, white people? You know, stop, stop knuckling under this. You know, uh, the first thing, I think every white person should go through, like, a racist vaccination. So in other words, get called a racist in front of a group of people and then get over it. And once you're over it, you know, you can do anything you want. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. You know, I've been called a racist on this show. I don't care. Call me a racist. You better be able to uh, uh, defend it because I'm going to accuse you of uh, a false accusation. I'm going to make you prove it. And you can't. <laughs> and, that's, and this is where the fun begins, right? But I'm not afraid of a, a racist charge, obviously. You know, but once, you're that, once, once you get to that position, life becomes very easy. I can say exactly what I want to say. Um, you know, I may hold back because I don't want to be, uh, you know, gratuitously offensive. But uh, if it's controversial and to the point, I don't care what I say. Let's go back to this here. I'm, I'm fascinated with. Uh, the, the you know, one other thing real quick. Whenever okay, they give fine. report on Supreme Court ruling, they need uh-huh. to name the justices and how they vote. They should. They just can't say the court, the Supreme Court voted. Well, five they'll, usually say, they'll usually say um, who wrote the majority opinion. The majority opinion uh, is the chief justice usually uh, – chief judge, excuse me, uh, usually delegates to somebody to write the majority opinion. Uh, even the chief, the chief judge is not on the majority. You usually know who wrote the, the majority opinion, and you usually know who wrote the strongest uh, dissent. So that's generally how it works. Like, like when the, the Supreme Court finally fixed their bogus Roe v. Wade decision, you know Clarence Thomas wrote the, remote the, wrote the majority opinion. And I'm pretty sure, was it um, Stevens, who just retired, wrote the uh, dissenting opinion? With well, the thing is, is that it's the, the news that should do it, the courts can continue doing how they do things, but the news should report what justices... What judges voted one way or the other, not justice, the Supreme Court, I mean, the Constitution called them judges. What judges mm-hmm. and how they voted? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that fascinating that, that I found that uh, like about, what, two or three months ago now? 
it says Supreme Court judges. And I probably read, I probably said justices a million times like everybody else. As soon as I saw it said judges, I'm like, wait a minute. And I researched, I tried to find out, you know, when the Supreme Court, uh, when people start calling them justices. I couldn't find that online. It's so assumed and it's so but you wrong. Know what, you know what it does when people start calling them justices? Then that brings back the emotions of what's good and what's bad rather than the law. So that judging the law, they are the final justice. They are justice. It's like when your fascist said, I am science. You know, the judges say, I am justice. You know, that's just like, so when you know, they get pissed off at Clarence Thomas, mm-hmm. well, he ain't the well, they looking at they looking at him from an emotional standpoint rather mm-hmm. than the opinion based on the argument between two parties as it applied to the supreme law that is the Constitution. That's what yeah. they're supposed to do. That's all. They're not supposed to include emotions in it or right and wrong. Right and wrong is subjective. It's about the law. If you don't like the law, change it. That's why or we're here. If you don't like how you treat it by the law, don't get involved in it. Hey, listen, my latest Substack article is on uh, on the constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And it's catching on. You know, that's the way to do it. So when, when you say if you want to do something, you know, do it here. If I don't like the law, I do try to change it, you know, and uh, very dramatically, in fact. Let me finish this article. We've got about seven, eight minutes left here, and I want to make sure to get this in. So when we last left our article here, an American conservative by uh, Colonel Doug McGregor, he talked about Washington's anxiety that the Ukrainian defeat is inevitable, which is which, which to me means, you know, unless it's your own personal country, I mean, they can fight the war, but we don't fight the war for another country that can't win. That doesn't make sense. He says NATO's members were never strongly united behind Washington's crusade to fatally weaken Russia. The governments of Hungary and Croatia are simply acknowledging the wider European public opposition to war with Russia and lack of support for Washington's desire to postpone Ukraine's foreseeable defeat. Though sympathetic to the Ukrainian people, Berlin, Germany folks, if you haven't looked at the map lately, Berlin did not support all-out war with Russia on Ukraine's behalf. Now, Germans are also uneasy with the catastrophic condition of the German armed forces. Yeah, they don't have a military either. And that, so you piss off Russia, Germany pisses off Russia again, and they don't have a military? That's not a good situation. He says, though sympathetic to the Ukrainian people, oh, I already read that. Okay. Retired uh, German Air Force General, four-star equivalent, Harad Kujat, K-U-G-A-T, former chairman of the NATO military committee, severely criticized Berlin for allowing Washington to railroad Germany into conflict with Russia, noting that several decades of German political leaders actively disarmed Germany and thus deprived Berlin of authority or credibility in Europe. Yeah, they sure did. Though actively suppressed by the German government and media, his comments are resonating strongly with the German electorate. Yeah, the word gets out eventually. The one fact is that in its efforts to secure victory in its proxy war with Russia, Washington ignores historical reality. From the 13th century onward, Ukraine was a region dominated by larger, more powerful national powers, whether Lithuanian, Polish, Swedish, Austrian, or Russian. In the aftermath of the First World War, abortive Polish designs for an independent Ukrainian state were, conceded, were conceived to weaken Bolshevik Russia. That would be communist Russia. Today, Russia is, not com- uh, Russia is not communist, nor does Moscow seek the destruction of the Polish state as Trotsky, Lenin, and Stalin and their followers did in 1920. So where is Washington headed with its proxy war against Russia? The question deserves an answer. 
On Sunday, December 7th, 1941, U.S. Ambassador Avril Harriman was with Prime Minister Winston Churchill having dinner at Churchill's home when the BBC broadcast the news that the Japanese had attacked the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor. Harriman was visibly shocked. He simply repeated the words, the Japanese have raided Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Hartman need not have been surprised, or Harriman need not have been surprised. The Roosevelt administration had practically done everything in its power to go Tokyo into attacking U.S. forces in the Pacific with a series of hostile policy decisions culminating in Washington's oil embargo during the summer of 1941, in other words, about six months before Pearl Harbor. In the Second World War, Washington was lucky with timing and allies. This time it's different. Washington and its NATO allies are advocating a full-blown war against Russia, the devastation and breakup of the Russian Federation, as well as the destruction of millions of lives in, in Russia and Ukraine. Washington emotes. Washington emotes. Washington does not think, and it is also overtly hostile uh, to empiricism and truth. Neither we, we nor our allies are prepared to fight all-out wars with Russia regionally or globally. The point is, if war breaks out between Russia and the United States, Americans should not be surprised. The Biden administration, in other words, the Brennan insurrection, as I call it, and its bipartisan supporters, that would be the gelding Republicans, too, in Washington, are doing all they possibly can to make it happen. See, this is the part I didn't know, just to react to this. Listen, here's the part that's crazy. In the second one, it says Washington and its NATO allies are advocating a full-blown war against Russia. That I did know. The devastation and breakup of the Russian Federation. Do they know how big Russia is? As well as the destruction of millions of lives in Russia and Ukraine. So they have heard about this too. They want regime change. They want Putin out. Okay, that's not going to happen. They want the Russian Federation, which they worked so hard to get in breaking up the Soviet Union. Now they want to break up the Russian Federation. These people are nuts. A land war with Russia? Don't they know anything about Russian history? Russia was willing to lose, what, 20, 30 million people in World War II to defeat the Germans? Then they kicked the Germans' butts all the way back to Germany and then did some horrible things to the Germans you know, themselves after the war? Do you know how many German prisoners back from Russia? Pianchi, do you have any idea? Because I don't know the exact answer. It's like almost none. It's quite a few. Quite a few. No, most, no, most when the when Russian when Germans took Russian prisoners of war, most of them did not get home. They died in Russian camps. No, the they killed. Majority. They nailed women up to the to a barn and raped them. Well, yeah, that the Russian. Are you talking about the Russian troops or the German troops? German troops. Yeah, yeah, German troops were were horrible. Uh, Russian troops were horrible to the Germans. Germans were horrible to pretty much everybody on the way to Russia, including the Russians. So the, there's no there's no good people here. There's, there's, there's no good side here except that the Russians were the only the only uh, righteousness is that Russia was defending their country. Russia did not attack Bad Germany. Blood. Germany attacked Russia, Bad but blood. but the problem is Russia attacked their own people, which is kind of interesting. That Russia, after a communist revolution and starving millions of people in the Ukraine and other people, expected those same people to defend Russia against the Germans. That was interesting. Well, sometimes those, I mean, those things happen. You know, you have a group of people in the U, U.S. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, uh, that's contrary. Of course, now it's different over there. I'm going to hear you. But uh, you don't go along. you against. You're promoting the enemy. Mm-hmm. Then quite naturally, things happen. 
But where where are the uh, where are the pacifists when we need them? Where are the people with the peace signs? Where's where's the the good left? The people that question the authority. Pacifists running high. They've run high. They get the stuff stirred up. Mm -hmm. It's just like a whirlpool. They get it stirred up, then they run. And see what happens. Great. Yeah. This is this is where we do Thomas Paine, you know, these are the times that try men's souls. The Sunshine Patriot and I forget what the rest of it is, we're shirked from duty and you know and and, and basically the cowards will run. (laughs) You know, so this is not the time for cowards. This is the time to stand up and tell Washington, no, this is the time for the states to start withholding money. Say, no, we're not going to pay for this. In fact, I had an idea earlier in the show. I think uh, I, I, you probably missed it, but I think you'd love this idea that, uh, what did I write down here, that the states are basically, that we need to change the tax laws so that, you, so that nobody pays the, the federal government. The people pay the states, and then the states, you know, apportion money back to the federal government, uh, similar to the original system we had without, uh, it'd be nice to have a constitutional amendment, getting rid of the 16th Amendment, but there's got to be a way that we can write a bill that uh, federal government cannot collect taxes from uh, citizens. They can only, um, or that, I don't know how to do it, because the Constitution says they can take money directly, so we either have to repeal the 16th Amendment or create a law that complies with the 16th Amendment but still has people paying the states first, <laughs> so the states can withhold money from the federal government. But the states have got to stop. They've got to start withholding money. You know, and it's like if these people are spending $100 billion on uh, Ukraine and the states need to withhold you know, $200 billion from the federal government, say, look, you can do this. We're going to punish you. We're going to take or three hundred billion. We're going to give you treble damages, as they call it in civil lawsuits. So, um, well, but it I ain't necessary that. the states that withhold because employers mm-hmm. have to deposit those employee taxes by a certain time frame. It depends on what your payroll is. If your payroll is at a certain level, then you have to do it. By the next week, if it's if it's a small level, you do it once a month. So it depends. On, so it's the employer that deposits those monies uh, that's withheld from payroll. Mm-hmm. Now you got, of course, you know you got state that has to uh, collect employment. I mean, employee taxes, wages. Uh, also, and I imagine they turn them into the federal government too. They deposit them in the bank. I can't. I think it's called a 940 tax. I think is what it is, but I'm not sure. Well, I, but I agree up. with you. That's yeah, only way to lose stop these people. You got to cut the. It's, it's, you you got to cut the purse string. So I'm writing down here. What money do states pay to the federal government? So you got state employees uh-huh. that they withhold taxes from. Right. Withholding tax. Mm-hmm. And then the state agency has to turn that money in, deposit it into uh, the bank per their trust account, mm-hmm. whatever time frame that they have depends on the amount. Some mm-hmm. people have to deposit the very next day. No, it makes sense. I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to find out what, what the – because I want to find out – because the 16th Amendment isn't going to be repealed anytime soon, even though it should. But in the meantime, what can we, what can we do to have states – make it easier for states to withhold money from the federal government when the federal government is sending our own money to uh, uh, the Ukraine money laundering operation? You know, this is – I mean, this, well, you this, know this, what this I think explore. you need to do. The states mm-hmm. – see, if the employee – of course, that's what you do when you get your uh, – they give you your EIN. I mean, that's kind of like an agreement. Right. But if the employee 
said that, look, we're not going to withhold. If you're going to collect it, collect it from the taxpayer themselves, the employees. If the employer says that, then now it's a, you know, it's kind of a complicated thing because the employer gets this EIN number, employment identification number from the IRS. And I think in that agreement that uh, you agree to withhold the withholding tax, it's called a trust. If you violate the trust, they will come after you personally uh, bypassing the corporation. Mm-hmm. You can be held responsible personally for not turning those money down. It's complicated, but uh, I agree that the only way you stop yeah. runaway, uh-huh. uh, if you to stop runaway corruption, you're gonna have to cut the purse strings. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna look into how money is transferred from the states to the from an employee, for example, to the federal government. How, how does the withholding work? And how much money do states have that they collect on behalf of the federal government? How, how do they turn it? See, I don't know any of that stuff yet. Uh, that's where we, we, we need See, to when, you fill out, when, employer, uh-huh. when an employee comes to work for you, they fill out a withholding statement. Right. Every employee does that. And it's based uh-huh. on you list your deductions, your, and you list your, not your, you list your claim, your claim dependents. You list your dependents, and then your payroll service figure out what you owe based on what you make. And that's part of your withholding each pay period. You fall into a percentage. Mm-hmm. Okay? The the uh, employer uh, don't pay, put that on your check. It goes into a, another account that they deposit into the bank. And that's the trust account with the IRS. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, and this, let's talk about this myth, too, that people think that they pay – you know, half the, the payroll tax, the employer pays the other half. No, you pay the whole thing because the employer takes 15% of the money they would have paid you and they put it in this trust account and that money is sent in. So you lose 15% of your money uh, to the payroll tax. Whereas if we had a privatized retirement system, they, they only take 10% and you get more money out of it. Well, they do. You you do. If they, you know, some taxes, if it's the uh, Medicaid, Medicare, portion of it, uh, you pay 7.5%, and I think that the employer pays 7.5%. No, but, the, but it's still 15%. You you no, it's still 15%. I know it's 15% because that's, that's what the self-employment tax is, being self-employed. You know, and, and so the self-employment tax is 15%. So they're paying the same amount as people as employees pay. See, so, so you lose. Well, if if you look a, at the money, don't don't, look at, don't worry about the payroll, but the source. But look at look at the amount of money that, that's going out. So, in other words, regardless of whether you say the employer pays half and the employee pays half, or the self-employed, you know, person pays fifteen percent, it doesn't matter. It's still fifteen percent. Employees are no, still not, losing fifteen percent of money. The total fifteen percent don't come out of the wages. The employer's portion of it is the cost. That goes to the job. So if I bid a yeah, job still, for X number of dollars, yeah. But without that, without that payroll tax, the employees could get fifteen percent more money. So they're still so they're still losing. I'm not saying they're paying fifteen percent, but they're losing fifteen percent. So whether the employer takes it from a different account or whatever they do with it, however they pay that tax, fifteen percent of the money that would have gone to an employee goes to the federal government for payroll tax. The same as self-employed. goes to the employee. Yes, it's right. actually seven and a half percent. Seven and a half percent 
the employee pays, then the employer is required to pay seven and a half percent on that amount that they pay. But it's but the employee you're missing the point. You're missing my point. Pianki, you're missing my point. The Mm -hmm. employee still loses fifteen percent. Whatever account the the company uses, it doesn't matter. The employer the employee don't lose fifteen percent. My my payroll my payroll sometimes up was two hundred and fifty thousand a week. I think I know how that would work. Oh, no, I know you know how it works, but but it's it's a perception thing. So in other words, what, what we're arguing is yes, you're 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 right. The corporations are uh, the companies are taking from different accounts to pay that money to the to to pay the payroll tax. But what I'm saying is that the employee is losing fifteen percent, and whether they're paying it themselves, whether it's coming out of their their wages, or whether it's coming out of another corporate account or anywhere it's coming from, however you pay the no, payroll it's tax, coming out of their wages, it's their income. If your income, okay. say you work twenty dollars an hour, you work five hours. That's, right. That's a hundred dollars worth of income. Okay. Uh-huh. You got to pay seven dollars and fifty cents toward federal tax. All right. Let me let me try to explain it another way. Say there's no payroll tax. All right. There's no payroll tax. Any payroll is income tax. Okay. No, I'm talking payroll tax. I'm talking Social Security, fifteen percent FICA. Okay. If there were if there were no FICA, if there were no payroll tax, you 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 wouldn't have to come up with fifteen percent of what you're paying your employee. Actually, above what you're paying them. FICA, FICA is is that is that Medicare, and I'm sorry, Social Security, and the other things that you and have federal unemployment. Yeah. Right. So what there. I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, without that payroll tax, companies could pay their employees 15 percent more money, and well, it, but the employees will still be the employees no, no, still you're, be required. You're, you're not getting it. You're not getting what I'm saying. A, a self-employed person pays 15 percent payroll tax or or self-employment tax. An employee loses. 15% the same way a self-employed person does, but it comes out of different accounts in different ways, and it, it, it's paid for different ways by the corporation. But the employee is still losing 15% of the potential money they could have made if there wasn't a payroll tax, just as the self-employed person has to pay 15% of what they make in that same... Well, then how, you know, do, you, uh, how do you pay for the things that they are receiving, like federal unemployment insurance? You want to give no, I'm not, I'm not saying the, I'm not, I'm not talking about the expense. What I'm saying is that the perception is that employees pay seven and a half and the, and the employer pays seven and a half. But the reality is the employer, the employee loses 15% of the money they could have gotten without that tax. So it doesn't matter where no, it comes the employee from. Don't, the employee don't lose 15%. The employee is only required to pay seven and a half. Okay. You're not getting, you're not getting what I'm saying. I, I, I you know, I'm you're not, not I don't understand. Yeah, no, no I, I understand what you're, no. Um, okay, let, let's hold it there. <laughs> Let people decide for themselves. Let's do, let's pick this up next. Actually, a bunch of things I want to look into as far as payroll and state money and things like that, and we'll see how it goes. Good chat. This is fun. Let me. Yeah, uh, they got to pay look. state tax too. State employment. They have to pay t- state income tax also, which is usually around six percent. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. gonna say it is. I know Missouri was six percent. Okay. Unless Still you live tax. in Florida or Nevada. Well, there's no state income tax. Yeah. 
Okay, let's pick it up this week. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to let you go now, and I've had enough for this week. <laughs> I, I've got. Uh, I got. Okay. Get, get I'll talk to you later. Be careful. Sounds good. You too. Thank you very much. So just to let you know, the websites you're listening to, the website right here is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Um, our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Uh, my new Substack columns, which are catching on very quickly, is gregpenglis.substack.com. Uh, and we also have a GiveSendGo account, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. That's givesendgo.com slash actionradio. And I'll be back Monday morning, 7 o'clock. And so it looks like it'll be 7 o'clock for a while. I'll find out, what, uh, see if we can get Shirley. Uh, I know she's busy, but uh, see if we can get, uh, we'll see what's going on with her for next week. Derek's off next week, so I'll, I'll probably have maybe a one or two, at least one uh, WEBY classic interview, maybe the one I, I processed for today, uh, saying all the commercials and the silly stuff. But a lot to do. Uh, I don't think we have any major guests. Let me take a look, see if I have major guests for next week. Uh, not yet. We've got CJ starting as a regular on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Central. We're going to do CJ uh, Wellness Watch. And I think that's it. Other than that, the week is, who knows? Things develop so fast around here, you never know. But we're going to have more guests in the works, and that should be all kinds of fun. So thank you for listening. And uh, share the show everywhere. Share the bills. Go to writeyourlaws.com and read my Substack column, gregpenglis.substack.com, and that will give you all the information on the bills that you can share. And let me just find what I'm looking for here. A couple more little things to play for you, and then I'm out of here. Where is it? There it is. All right, next week. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. 
Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. <laughs> 